0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com/system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com/system.
0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com.
2: All right, let's get back to some boring subjects.
1: Understand the risks to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com.
0: Welcome to We Are Libertarians. This is episode, I believe, 440, June 9th, 2020. It is... Man, there is a ton going on. And we're going to talk about all of it tonight. going to talk to our good friend, Renzo Martinez. He's here. Harry's here. we got a hold of Harry. He's been down in the bunker. And Reinhold will be here, so... Stay tuned, we'll be back right after this.
1: Warning This show is for adults, produced by semi adults.
0: So the language is sometimes strong
1: and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before
0: political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. Welcome. Welcome to the program. It's nice to see you all. My name is Chris Spangle Back, man, it's been a few, uh, it's been a week. We haven't done a podcast in a week It's been months since we've been doubling up doing all kinds of episodes And uh, one person that's missed a lot Has been our good friend Harry I'm trying to unmute you, Harry, but you're gonna have to do it yourself Harry, how are you doing?
3: I'm going good. Going good. Feels good to be around people and
0: see everyone again. It's nice to see you. I uh, I was having dinner and uh, with a lady, and I was saying, I can't wait to talk to Harry. It's been it's been like a month at least since I've talked to Harry. <laughs> so you you're never around. It's like you're busy with your job or something. It's really offensive.
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have uh, actually work has given us more work than uh, that we could produce. Mm. Uh, we uh, we have bro- broken records on how much, equi- uh, how much stuff we have printed and shipped out, wow. and it's still not enough.
0: Yeah, and if you want to support uh, them and us, then you can go to WeAreLibertarians.com and hit up the store, and uh, James Neese will personally touch all of your items. Does Neese still work there? Uh, n- n- all right, no, let's move on. No. Uh, Reinhold, how are do you doing? <laughs> Oh, uh, Reinhold! I talk to you all the time. Yeah, I never shut up. Yeah, me it's, neither.
2: Uh, been noticed by some people.
0: <laughs> I know we were we we're joking in the chat today that 2020 has turned full Ryan Lindsay, and all of a sudden you're the the sane centrist in the uh, libertarian movement. I don't know how that happened.
2: Well, I was always the same centrist. It's just that you need that other side to balance it. There's a lot of on the right, right? So
0: I honestly can't believe that I I, I think Donald Trump is a plant from George Soros who is in cahoots with AOC because I've never seen more white people, Christian conservative suburbanites talking about woke woke racial issues and on in the right way, and then yeah. now they're debating abolishing the police. It's it's truly a, a heretic magazine dream come true.
2: Just look at what it took for us to get there the last three years. To finally have the the plan unfold in front of us
0: yeah and then also joining us tonight is hey rimzo uh, i'm i'm like i'm like if you put the text in front of me i'm going to read it just like ron burgundy it's uh rimzo martinez who, who has just joined the network he is uh, part of the we are libertarians network with his podcast on the run which you can find at we dot com or any podcast network rimzo thanks for joining the network and thanks for coming on tonight
4: Dear leader, it's an absolute pleasure of mine. You know, I, I remember when we were talking about when to air the show, I said, you know, maybe hopefully after Rona is over because <laughs> I want to have some non-Rona topics. I want to get weird. I want to get crazy. I want to get personal, hot and heavy with people. So now we're putting out episodes because this is just never going to end. And frankly, when I have topics about people going to jail for stealing Alexander Hamilton's dueling pistols and studying ancient forms of Judaic mysticism and this is the normal stuff mm-hmm. – then everything else is just beautiful.
0: I know. It, our current event show has turned into uh, some sort of bizarre. Uh, yeah. I, I love the show. I, I listened to the Alexander uh, Hamilton episode and it was a wild story. It was, I, I did not expect it. And you're having this conversation with this, like, very erudite, educated man about all kinds of policy topics in New Jersey. And then all of a sudden, yeah, I got drunk on Four loco, and, and I went, what? And then, it, yeah, and I was wearing a colonial costume. I was like, this is, it was a great story. People definitely have to go check it out.
4: I've always been a fan of the Twilight Zone, but I never thought we'd all be living in an episode of the Black Mirror. And this is what it feels like. It's, yeah. it's so strange when that, of all things, is what's normal in people's lives. They're like, huh, this story doesn't sound like it's out of the realm of possibility.
0: <laughs> yeah, so 439 was my magnum opus. Uh, basically, I got pissed off after watching Donald Trump's thing, opened up all the things that I'd shared on Facebook for the past week and and did an episode on it. And I thank you so much, uh, those of you who, uh, who hit me up and said that it was a good episode. I'm proud of it. And I am never proud of any episode I ever do. I'm hypercritical of myself. So Please share that with friends. Uh, really, it, it seemed to uh, hit people in the right way. So, please hit hit uh, share on that. Uh, so I've said a lot about it. I, I will say, just kind of catching up on the week because there's just I, I don't even know where we start. We start with the coronavirus. Do we start with pandemics and or or do we start with the race riots and the racial relations and the ever expanding conversation about rights? You know, or do you talk about Donald Trump just being a complete insane person? When we last left you, Donald Trump had just used tear-inducing gaseous substances that was not tear gas, even though a few days later it was confirmed that it was tear gas. And he didn't order it. It was just Bill Barr had ordered the clearing of those protesters who was working for Donald Trump. Uh, And he basically, the story has come out now, is Donald Trump, uh, his base was dropping, his numbers are in the toilet, and evangelicals are starting to erode, and so he felt he needed to do something to shore up evangelicals, and so he used... Gaseous substances that cause tears on peaceful protests beat them with the batons, including journalists. You watch one journalist from Australia in a video just get beaten as they're trying to clear the park. There's thousands of people who saw exactly what everybody said happened. It's not fake news, even though the Trump campaign said that night never happened. It totally happened. There's hundreds of people on Twitter that confirm exactly what happened. Uses it to clear people out. It's a clear abuse of power. Uses violence in a very personal way to walk to a church, to hold a Bible upside down in front of a church he, I don't believe, has visited. Didn't even pretend to pray. And then when somebody goes, Is that your Bible, sir? It's a Bible. (laughs) Direct quote. Also, he could make a video because the night before he had gone down to inspect a bunker... Even though the Secret Service had put him into the bunker because they were worried about protesters uh, uh, overriding the gates, apparently. I don't know what that was, but he was in the bunker. But he wasn't in the bunker because he was afraid. He wants you to know he was just inspecting it. And uh, so he had to go out and bravely face the protesters by gassing them out of his way so he could film a campaign commercial using the sacred text and sacred spaces of my faith so he could try to manipulate me into voting for him. And that really was like the best thing that happened this week. Uh, so, oh,
4: you haven't heard about the cannibals?
3: <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> the cannibals. So, let uh, me check my bingo card. <laughs> I,
0: I I think here's where I'll start the discussion. You know, and then we'll kind of go around because we haven't talked to Harry since the George Floyd killing. I'd love to hear both Rimzo and and Harry's perspective on it, and uh, and Reinhold too. Although, who wants to hear from another old white man? But, uh, you know, this was the week, these last couple weeks, and I've noticed a shift in things. And you can never say it's over because coronavirus was like literally 95, 100 days ago when it began. And we've got 145 days till the election. Uh, So you can never make the mistake that this is going to turn the election. But uh, I personally went from somebody that... Somewhat agnostic to Trump, you know, if you listen to our impeachment episodes, I'm, I'm arguing with Reinhold saying, just give it a break, like you guys with your Trump derangement syndrome. Uh, I, I have to make a public apology to Reinhold now, everything he said about the guy for four years has been completely right, like his authoritarian tendencies came out in full display, uh, in just, not just that incident, but the call with the governors, right, the day before, where you have to dominate them, I mean... The politics of domination domination is a is a term in political science think colonialization it's when a state has complete control over the people of a geographical area not just another country and can do with them whatever they want i mean think african slavery think 17th century colonialism that is what domination means in political science terms now, I'm not going to pretend that he's read enough political science books to understand that term, but when you're talking about dominating people so they get the message that you're the power and they're not, I think this was the week where the mask slipped off. You know, Allegedly, he said in a meeting that he wanted 10,000 troops uh, after the Cotton uh, New York Times article, which we could cover that too, um, <clears throat> and Esper pushed back. Barr pushed back and said, you can't do that. Barr, of course, later said that was not true, but he's racking up Dick Cheney lied numbers right now. Uh, So I I think this was the week for me where it kind of went from agnosticism and yeah, the judges are great and there's been the regulations are, you know, and it's good because it kind of shows Americans how politics works and give the guy a chance to... Fuck this guy. I'm not going to vote for Biden, but I hope the rest of you do. (laughs) Like, You know, and I'm sure I will change my mind at some point. But I mean, it was like, what? I mean, it really you just start to see Donald Trump go. uh, Yeah, I I don't know if Kenneth is talking about me, but Kenneth says, thank you. Next person, please. Uh, Yeah, it really was stunning. So first, let me start with Reinhold. And say this is your moment to gloat, because all of those of uh, those of us who didn't listen went this week. yeah, that authoritarian thing may be true. Just a little bit. And remember, <laughs> it's been—I
2: think it was last week—was four months since the uh, impeachment hearings ended. Four, <laughs> just four months, right? It's—it's it's not yeah. been a year and a half. Was that January? I can't
0: remember January.
2: Yeah. And then it's uh, it's a little crazy. And then what's also interesting is watching the complete implosion that's happening with with Donald Trump. He's not stopping. He's not grabbing a hole and catching a free, you know, stopping the free fall. He's diving in and doubling down on it.
0: I mean, today was um, one of his worst. I mean, it's it registers in one of his worst moments. But it, we won't remember it tomorrow where yeah. he the guy in Buffalo who was walking up there, you know, the conservative press has their own narrative because we know what they're up to right now. And, but the guy in Buffalo, who's a 70-something-year-old man, was carrying a police helmet. Police push him down. He falls backwards. Head starts bleeding out. The, the police said he tripped and fell. And then in uh, the Buffalo Police Department, basically the story was they abandoned. They said, you're all on your own. And that the police resigned, 54 of them, from a special team and said, if our police unions and our politicians are not going to support us, we're not going to go out and control these riots. But it got reported initially as they all quit the force to support the two guys that beat this guy up, basically. Uh, and so Donald Trump releases his name today and calls him an Antifa member and he's forever changed that guy's life because he will now have reactionaries trying to kill him and blowing up. I mean, that will follow him forever. And so who knows if he's Antifa or not, but even if it's a hundred percent true, everything he said in the tweet is, is it right for the head of the United States government to target a private citizen for their political beliefs and open them up to death threats and the level of harassment that we all know this guy's going to get. You know, that's just a blip in all this. You know, that's just one day. So he's really out yeah, we'll of control. Forget,
2: we'll forget about it to, uh, the next two days or so when he gives his uh, nice race speech written by Stephen Miller.
0: And he's going to save it with a race speech written by Stephen Miller. Now, Remzo, you have a different persuasion than than Reinhold and I, which we'll, we're going to talk about tonight. What's your opinion of Stephen Miller? I'd love to uh, lo- love to hear what you think because you follow the news pretty closely so I'm sure y- you know what what's going on there.
4: It's, it's always been kind of strange because it seems like every other day they just add a new cast to the Trump cinematic universe. (laughs) And you know, I'd be lying if I said I was caught up with everybody. What I do know about Stephen Miller is what I don't know. It's the fact that if you're on the right, you have to defend him. Like it's, you know, a member of your family, if you're your last dying breath. And if you're on the left, he's, you know, a white nationalist, a racist and all this other stuff. I've done very little research on him, but what I can tell you is he might have different opinions, Than I do on immigration, on law enforcement, things like that, I've never really seen anything that I would say makes me think, oh, this guy hates non-white people. So this whole, oh, he's a racist, he's a bigot, he's a homophobe, he's all this other stuff, if it's out there, then no one's shown me anything that could convince me otherwise. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm just saying that with what I've been able to see, I don't see it. But then again, I see this with really everybody. Um, we're in the the politics of absolute destruction, and you mentioned mentioned this earlier with the political science um, definition of domination. In uh, in you know, in some schools, we called it uh, power politics. Uh, at the helm school of government liberty university we called it the politics of absolute warfare and other things like that it's you are inherently my enemy and you are everything terrible in the world just because you're on the opposite side of this when it comes to me and honestly i can't really be phased by any of this what we're doing right now and this this only becomes more evident because we're in a you know a general election year is everyone's looking for a savior everyone wants donald trump to fix everything everyone wants donald wants joe biden to fix everything and the thing is that we are far too complicated as a country we're far too different as people alone to require one person to save us and i even say it trickles down to all forms of government we're seeing this now we're seeing massive distrust and whether or not you've lost faith in society or now you're just really starting to question it what we really need to do is understand what's really happened i'm not surprised by the riots i'm not even surprised nor am i really angry about what trump did over near um you know the, the church near the white house because they've been saying they were going to do this anyone that said that this came out of nowhere and they were completely shocked you know i'm not saying i was ahead of it they, but I was they were guy.
0: they were saying who who what when where
4: Yeah, I mean, it was it was always going to happen. And when Maxine Waters was screaming at that rally around the midterm elections and she was like, hassle them at gas stations, hassle them at restaurants, march in the streets and everything, follow them at home, go to their homes. I took her very seriously. I mean, we're seeing people go to Tucker Carlson's house near Georgetown and completely terrorize his wife and kids just because a talking head on TV has an opinion they don't like. You know, I don't like a lot of people on TV. Doesn't mean I'm going to go scream at their houses. When I think that the people in the talking box have actual direct impacts on my life, then I have bigger problems that I'm ignoring to go ahead and focus on that. So I think we're in it to really understand that this is nothing new. This is nothing that's going to be of absolute consequence. Maybe this hurts them. Maybe it doesn't. I think I'm too dumb to really predict how things are going to result in November. But one thing I will say is this. If before that day you liked Trump, you probably still found a reason to like him. If before that day you didn't like Trump, you just found another reason not to like him. I think we're so, so far back into our own bunkers, we're willing to justify just about anything to get the results we want.
0: Dennis? Excuse me, Reinhold?
2: (laughs) Uh, I would take an exception to a little bit of that because... I have no problem with seeing certain people in the uh, Trump White House and not hating them, right, or not identifying them as racist or or anything like that. Stephen Miller was outed uh, by having a membership and participating in a neo-Nazi, white supremacist uh, group, uh, online forum, and he had had no
4: clue about that. Yeah, he he is not
2: idle there either. He wrote things, right? So he. Uh, they've been calling for him to be removed from the administration for uh, a year almost. That uh, makes so no, no. It was yeah. actually not that long. It was like four months ago. Uh, I think. My
0: gut tells me uh, that Stephen Miller is the guy that wrote the tweet with the segregationist quote in it a week or two ago. Like I, I, I don't definitely. think that Donald Trump. I do think Donald Trump is an intelligent person and i do think that donald trump is a genius at pr and getting attention for himself and i'm not going to pretend that he's a dumb person but i do i do not believe that donald trump has a firm ideology or an end game donald trump enjoys winning and power and being in charge I think so. I I I have a quick
4: question about the group, though. Like, I'm not. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah.
0: So Stephen Miller, to me, is a person with a specific ideology and a worldview and is one of those people that is probably taking advantage of his position with Trump and is writing tweets, is why he's offering to write the race speech. It's a horrible idea because Stephen Miller specifically is a person that has very problematic behavior and quotes and so this is a guy that you're going to turn to and write your race speech all you're going to do is inflame which is exactly what Stephen miller and donald trump want they don't want division and that's why the maddest statement john you know mad Dog Mattis comes out the former secretary of defense the general and says this is the first president of my lifetime that doesn't unite the american people and the important caveat that he added doesn't even try to unite the, because I don't think any of us would look at, you know, the last three presidents specifically and say these are uniting figures. They had their moments, but they did engage in that kind of partisan, bickering politics and of division. Whereas Donald Trump feeds off it. Donald Trump doesn't have the ability to give a uniting speech because it's so fundamentally in his DNA, which is why he was elected. His voters, his base, want liberal tears. They don't they're not looking for reconciliation. They're looking for division. They're looking for that toxic poison because they buy his bullshit about being victims. And I think that that Stephen Miller is probably a he's one of the last men standing in this White House who has kept his position consistently. And I think Trump relies on him maybe more than any of us realize at this point because he's one of the presidents have a tendency once they've they feel kind of isolated and and fenced in to turn to the original group of people that's why Lewandowski's still on these phone calls Nick Ayers they're all kind of still in there so uh yeah I mean you had a question Remzo about the Stephen Miller stuff and then Reinhold we'll we'll, we'll start we'll start with Stephen Miller and then we'll kind of move towards the politics of division and unity that you kind of opened up Remzo
4: yeah, Reinhold, I, I trust your opinion more than I trust like you know CNN and a bunch of other places. So my my question isn't coming from you know trying to be a gotcha thing. I'm, I am just genuinely curious. When a media outlet labels something far right or white nationalist or something, you know, I, I'm a bit jaded because I don't think they have a great consistency in terms of their record of accusing people of being certain things. Was the group really that or was it just like a, a group full of Trump people who just like? To no, say- it was it was that. OK, then that completely changed. I didn't know about that. Yeah. So if you see that and you know what mm-hmm. that stuff is, All right, so I, I, I believe that makes sense to me.
2: That's the thing is I I won't go out and call anybody a racist unless I think that they've proven that they are. Right. So there's this there's this whole fight inside libertarianism about certain people being racist adjacent or defending racists and things like that. And it's like, yeah, there's things that they do for their different reasons than racism because they they see things in a different view. Like um they're kind of blind to it because they're not thinking about it that way, and they're more interested in crushing their opponents. So they don't recognize that the, some of the things they say or do are problematic to people who are, you know, it, who who uh, do see this stuff.
0: of a different ideology or a different culture. Maybe is the way to right. put it. Yeah, like yeah, I, let it, me it illustrate it. it like so, something, something like, and and I would definitely say that I've fallen into this. Like we have a Confederate monument that is being removed today here in Indianapolis, and what this is is it is a it is a big thirty-four foot limestone grave marker for the six hundred 1,616 Confederate soldiers that died at Camp Morton here in Indianapolis. And it's got all of their names on it. And it was it was created in like a 1912 to put over the bodies in a Greenlawn Cemetery. And then when Greenlawn Cemetery had to shut down because of railroads and they moved the bodies to Crown Hill, which is the big cemetery in Indy, they couldn't fit the monument over that space. They created another separate one that just kind of said, here's the, here's the bodies. It's a little more mundane. And so the Southern Club of Indianapolis took possession of that monument and put it at the gate of the largest park at the time, Garfield Park, down on the south side. And if you go and read the history of the south side club of Indianapolis, it's a Klan group. And so when they moved this in the 20s, when the Klan ran this state under D.C. Stevenson, and we had a Klan governor in Ed Jackson, and we had a Klan mayor, and then when D.C. Stevenson got arrested for killing a woman, Madge Oberholtz, uh, the, it, the governor had to resign, the mayor had to resign, and it, and it basically blew the lid off of Klan politics here in Indiana in the 20s because the Klan moved from the south, started in Evansville, Indiana, and then became extremely powerful across the Midwest by targeting Catholics and Jews more than blacks in, in the Midwest in the 20s. And it was basically a political power club. But the point of the Confederate monument in Garfield Park for this long, according to not just the Southern Club and the articles that you read about it at the time, because I went and looked up the research this past week and did, did a couple hours on it, uh, you look at this cop in 1991 he was trying to get George Bush to give him money to move the monument and and he was eventually fired from the police force for killing an unarmed black man and it came out that he was in a neo-Nazi group and so this cop that was quoted in the Indianapolis Star today saying he was mad about this being taken down and was trying to take possession of it is still after 30 years interested in this single monument. Who has clan? Who has neo-Nazi ties? Well, shit. And so, the Confederate monuments were mass-produced in the 1910s and 20s as part of the Lost Cause movement, and and it was a way to uh, to remember the Confederate soldiers that bravely fought to and died. And so, we need our own monument for them, but the intent for every generation for this specific grave marker that I've walked, I walked by it last week because I go to that park all the time is, and you go, we're a union state. Why is there a giant Confederate statue here? It makes no sense. The point is white supremacy. The point has for every generation of supporters of this monument meant to remind people who are not white Anglo-Saxon Protestants that you're less than that. You are, but if you were a conservative that voted for Bush, and you're and you're just out there, you, you don't know the history of that monument. You don't know the intent of that monument. You just want to protect our history. You go, well, why wouldn't you want that there so people remember that there was a, a Camp Morton? That's not in and of itself a, a, a racist thought, right? Like I want to protect history, and I don't. No, where, where am I going to have to give? Where am I going to have to budge on my heritage, right? Where am I going to have to budge on my history? We're going to start tearing down Washington monuments, right? But because you're trying to stop the advance of cultural Marxism. But by doing that, you are using tools of white supremacy to fight cultural Marxism. And so what that codes as to liberal liberal people minorities people of color it it, and people who do know the history they code that as you're a white supremacist and that's the conversational breakdown that we're having right now is that people on the right are watching tucker carlson they are hearing things that do make completely logical sense and tucker carlson himself may not or, or some of these libertarian podcasters that you know nick can't help but get himself in a fight with in ludicrous displays on twitter they're they're not looking at that history and seeing what maybe reinhold is seeing or what maybe uh nick is seeing they're seeing something completely different operating from a different set of facts and so that's part of the conversation that is taking place in this country but in a lot of ways, it's right Christian conservatives who are not willing to have any kind of conversation about any of this. No, I'm not giving up my monument. Sorry, I'm going to protect history. As opposed to doing an hour of research on the monument and going, yeah, look at the, look at the cop from 1991 who was trying to protect this with the neo-Nazi ties. Look at the 1960s group who had the Klan ties, who was trying to get this monument beautified. Here's the historical record. It's in the newspaper at the time. Here's the article from the 30s, where the Klansmen are talking about the importance of this monument. Here's the article from the 20s and from the 10s. The history of it is very clear, but nobody ever looks at that history. They just look at, I want to protect history, as opposed to, trying to discern what this piece of history may mean to other people. And so where I come down on on a lot of this is that I don't look at monuments like this being torn down as divisive. It may feel divisive, but I see that as us going, there's some fucked up part of American history that we do have to recognize, like the Klan running Indiana in the 20s, and we have to recognize that there may be ghosts of that in our police forces that may need to be reformed. There may be uh, certain attitudes that we have on the right, especially that, that may code differently to other people, but we're never going to understand that if we don't have a conversation around that. And so what a Stephen Miller does is understand that history and use that history to avoid the conversation completely to inflame your anger at the removal of monuments because they're going to steal your history. If you don't fight Antifa, they're going to fight you on your driveway in Avon, Indiana. And if you can't can't protect yourself because they're going to steal all your guns and then they're going to come loot you, then you have one choice in this election. You have to vote for self-protection. You have to vote for Donald Trump because if you don't, they may overrun the country. They may overrun the courts. They may overrun your Walmart. They, 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 right? And so part of the objection that, that libertarians and that people of color and that liberals and everybody is having with people like Donald Trump is that we know you know the history. We know Stephen Miller knows the history because he's an intelligent, bright person. We know he has very disturbing views on immigration and says it proudly we know what you're doing right like that's what i think drives people like reinhold crazy about donald trump is it's sort of like watching right now it's like watching your conservative friends especially christian it's why it's not trump derangement syndrome in that everything donald trump does is drive you crazy it, it's that People like Reinhold can't fucking believe that you're falling for this. <laughs> Am I wrong?
2: Reinhold? That's exactly right. Yeah. That's, that, that's the biggest thing. It's just like, can you not see what he's saying is the same thing that was being said 80 years ago for the same reasons to try to whip up people against other people. He's just doing it. I mean, He's not doing it because he's a racist. He's doing it because he doesn't care. He just wants power. He wants loyalty. All the people like Stephen Miller. He, Stephen Miller is going to be there for the rest of this term, not because Donald Trump necessarily agrees with him, but because he is loyal. And that's all that he cares about in this administration now is people that are loyal to him, whether they do a good job or not, as long as his base likes those people, too. And that's all. That's all that
0: matters. So, Ramzo, it's kind of like you you have a friend. And let's let's say it's a female friend, and you know your female friend is dating a guy that, like, she can't see as dangerous because she's in puppy love. But you know enough guys to know that this is not a guy you want your friend dating. And you, like, gently kind of say, like, hey, this guy's trouble. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, and then it, it, <laughs> you don't understand what it's like. I, so I think that's kind of the epiphany that I've had over the last couple weeks is, like, I finally kind of get it. Because I've kind of been of the same mindset of you where no, 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 the media, the media, the media, you know, a lot of our comments are, you know, like Josh, the media holds some responsibility for us not believing him though. They've breathlessly been decrying the color of his tie since he was inaugurated. I totally agree with that. Everything isn't a scandal. So yeah, it's, it it is really,
1: does that make more sense? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it
4: Absolutely. And I mean, the, the last comment that just came up, if you could bring it up, I think people need to see that.
1: It's one of those things that a lot of
4: people are are really struggling with right now. And I mean, I think Josh is 110 percent. And I see this in the Beltway all the time. I've seen it since before I got into media when I was a political consultant. What we're dealing with is not how do I fix things? How do I make things better? Once people obtain power, the only priority they have is to keep it. So, you know, it's gotten to the point now where I know if I'm getting exhausted, if I'm getting tired and if I'm, you know, having a hard time believing things that otherwise would make sense, I can only imagine how it's how it is for your ape. You know, a political voter out there, your person who rarely tunes in, who's either your liberal CNN watcher, your Fox News Republican, and they don't really dive into the nuance. They're just kind of waiting what to be told next. It makes it really complicated. I mean, you know, I'm glad that Reinhold did his homework on Stephen Miller. There have been other people in the Trump administration where I've, you know, I've looked at them and I've just been like, why the hell is that person there? And then, you know, I meet people who are connected to them and they're like, oh, no, you got to give them a chance. They're a good person. I've met a lot of so called good people. People in politics, that turned out to be criminals, drug dealers, pimps, potential murderers, absolute hardcore racists. But ultimately so met right, Hillary Clinton. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's allegedly like, yeah, allegedly <laughs> right, if I wind up dead in a jail cell, you know who did it. But it's at the point now where it's like what I began to realize was the only reason why they defend those people is that they all have something to protect. And that's yeah. what this is all about. There was a funny TikTok video about this uh, liberal teenager reading a Trump um, a Trump campaign email asking for donations. It was like, oh, get your uh, Trump 2020 hat so people know you're part of the president's defense. And she's taking that as, oh, my gosh, this is the wake-up call for the new Holocaust. And I'm looking <laughs> at that, and I'm like, I can't tell whether this is satire or whether or not that's what she genuinely believes but this is where we've come. I, I, you know, I stopped, I stopped being mad at politicians. Probably like four, five, six months ago, I had this epiphany. Somebody keeps having to give them permission to go back. We had like Strom Thurmond from uh, South Carolina. I think the dude was there until he was like deaf, mute, and invalid. And it's like, who kept sending him back there? Why is Nancy Pelosi going back? Why does you know Mitch McConnell keep going back? Who keeps sending all these people back? And then I had to realize, not, not any amount of special interest group money or pop culture topics or whatever is going to ever be as forceful as voters on election day.
2: Yeah. yeah I've yeah. always said that is that we have the government that we want. I mean, we're voting these people in. So if, if how can we complain about the people that we're voting in, being in there, doing those things they're doing when we keep voting them in, that's why I'm like, get rid of Trump. If, Whoever gets in there next, if it's Biden or Jorgensen or whoever, um, if they're not doing what you want them to do, get rid of them and put someone else in next. Don't keep sending these people back. Try other people. Try different things. Try affecting the changes you want to see yourselves. And don't worry about government doing it for you or politicians doing it for you because they're always going to let you down and they're always going to do it wrong. Do it yourself. Go, Go out and start organizations. Take care of those things you care about. So you don't have to worry about it anymore. It Take the goes, power but, away from them. And Rimzo yeah, referenced it.
0: And I'll go to you in just a second, Harry, because you've been eerily quiet. But <laughs> Rimzo referenced it. It's Hayek's knowledge problem. There is not one person who can understand the full knowledge or even a small group of people that can understand the full knowledge of a society. The market is the only way to distribute knowledge effectively and build peaceful cooperation because once you start central planning, then that one person essentially starts failing. It's it's what we talked about with the CDC. You centralize the failure or success in the CDC and they fail, then you have hundreds of thousands of people die instead of tens of thousands of people die. And so it goes back to Hayek's knowledge problem. So Harry, get in in here. I'm
3: sure you have a ton of thoughts. <laughs> Alright, so... I'm glad that the plan of attack is to vote harder, vote again. And vote. <laughs> this will work out. Our resident anarchist <laughs> mocking the voters. Vote I finish harder. it up with the agorism. Don't, don't. I know. I'm not going to give you too much of, of a hard time. Because I can understand what you're saying and what you're trying to accomplish. I get that. And the whole idea of the aspect of, you're right. Once one person tries to essentially plan different things, things start falling apart. It's the reason why a lot of people hate these phased back um, of trying to restart the economy after shutting everything down for the Rona because one person has no idea how many moving parts that are going, th- going through the economy right now. Right. Our factory stayed open because we just said screw it, we're just going to keep going until someone actually tells us to stop. Yeah. And even when the police came to the door we just, oh no, no, no we <laughs> We just kept going. It's a really. protest. Yeah, they're not serious. They're <laughs> not serious. Just keep going. They're going to do anything. So we just kept going. It was, it was it is it, but it's good that it's a buffet. and that's why like who, that's why the whole confusion of like well what's essential what wasn't essential it's this one person's trying to plan out how to shut everything down and how to bring everything back and they have no idea how to turn everything back on there's a but we can't turn on back at once honestly that's the only thing you can do because you have no idea what's going on out there yeah the whole idea anything.
0: of a stair step back to society is as dumb as the stair step down like Someone someone was, you know, I I shared that the WHO, the World Health Organization yesterday said that asymptomatic carriers are not all that effective at carrying it. And then they said that they are today and they kind of flip flop back and forth. And that was a lot of people on my Facebook going, why should we even trust these people? And honestly, after nothing happened after the Michigan protests and there weren't big spikes around the country after those protests, I kind of went, huh? And I think in a week to two weeks we're gonna kind of know now I've seen and heard that with while there isn't socially distancing, almost everybody that attends these rallies are wearing masks. Uh, but still, that doesn't totally make you safe and secure. And so the trust in experts have gone ha- has gone away completely. So and everybody everybody's citing these experts and and this is something you should keep in mind when you're listening to to political talk. Everybody cites these experts that say protesting to end systemic racism is good, go ahead and do it. They never say who, how many, where. There's never really any details when it's kind of just talked about the general notion. They're just beating up on the experts. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, is that this, the solution for the pandemic was government, and you politicized the solution. And so mm-hmm. when, you, when you politicize the solution, people feel they're a part of it, and they feel resentment towards it especially if you keep changing information which is totally logical right like something that we a brand new disease a brand new virus we're, we're less than six months in i expect you to not know everything about this thing and change over time but mm-hmm. when people resent you because of the way that you have socially engineered them Expect them no, to no longer to listen to you, especially when people in your, your field start saying things like, these protests do matter, so go ahead, if we lose 10,000 people to end systemic racism, okay. that That's where it starts to, instead of the, the private market informing people, letting people be adults, make their own decisions start to understand the risks, then as information changes, they have less resentment towards the people giving them information because they're not being socially engineered. They're being given information that they can then act on and make rational decisions, Harry. Yeah,
3: Yeah, it it is. You are right. Uh, Here in a few days, we're really going to find out if a lot of the, the social distancing thing, all this stuff like, and everything we're finding out, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna figure this out. Yeah. In about like what is it, Like three, four days. Um, the other thing with it is, it's not only do they are they politicizing the the cure, they're also politicizing your reaction. Mm-hmm. So they're going to you want to be seen as doing something, right? Trying to do the best thing you can do, and I'm doing this for science. And they also, they also watching how people are doing things because they don't want to be liable. You know, so like, uh, so if you got like a, so you can really find out who one does want to be liable, or two is that it's an election year and they want to be seen as doing something, so they'll get a judge, a sheriff, in that, in, in any type of local. Terrence of like wants some shown either doing something or either allowing people to de- defy a lot lock- the lockdown order or going to severely enforce the lockdown order because they feel this is what their base wants. So, yes, the political solution to this unknown virus that we all are trying to deal with and learn about at the exact same time,
0: you know. Yeah, I want you to know, Harry, you best of all know what a professional I am, what a brave broadcaster I am. How how I work through the pain. I just had the worst Charlie horse you can possibly imagine. My body is magnesium and potassium starved, clearly, because I'm an athlete. I worked through, I played through the pain, Harry.
3: Uh, yep, you play through the pain, uh, come to you know, work through the cold. I recommend coffee in your pre-workout. Coffee has a lot of potassium in it. Okay. Yeah, so put a little coffee in your pre-workout. should
2: help you out. It's also diuretic, so it gets you moving on the treadmill fast.: I don't
0: need more diarrhea in my life. <laughs> uh, I also want to shout out to Kenneth. Chris, you have three smart, articulate folks with you. Can you we hear from them more, please? <laughs> 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 Kenneth, it's my show. My show. Uh, I want to take this moment to get thank, their own show. Uh, thank our patrons and Speaking of uh, Yes, sir. Rim- Rimzo is a patron. Reinhold is a $100 a month patron. Harry is here. Uh, our other $100 a month patrons are Anthony Meyer, Craig DeCosta, Ed Brehab, Jason Doolittle, Jeff Bennett, Christy Avery, Matthew Durbin, and new Brad Tracy, a Twitter friend of mine, and we have gotten to become good friends over the last couple of weeks, and I'm ecstatic that he has joined us. Thanks, everybody, for being a patron. Uh, judging by the massive... Negative amount of money in my Patreon account. I think that they've uh, I've paid for the merch and it should be sent to you soon. So uh, I want to go back to our original conversation and kind of finish up here um, because the original impetus for having Remzo on was not just to promote his excellent podcast on the Run, which you should download multiple times. Contact your Chinese and Filipino contacts and have them download it multiple times too. Uh, but listen to every episode, not just rig the numbers. Uh, and, and so Rimzo reached out to me and wanted to talk a little bit about racial identity, you know, and, and Harry has been a, a big part of that for me too, because going back to what Reinhold said earlier is that before we talked about the monuments, for instance, people, and I definitely fall into this category, like the monument thing I never would have gotten had I not kind of first, it was Mitch Landrew. A white guy from, from Louisiana talking about, giving a speech about these monuments saying, here's how this affects people different than you, you know. And so I had one version of these monuments based on my identity and make no mistake, white identity is an identity. Donald Trump plays that to a T like he's trying to build a white identitarian movement and, and turn it into like this victimhood Identity, which is really weird considering I've heard forever, you know, don't just vote Democrat if you're black. They're taking advantage of you. Now it's vote Republican because you need to. You, anyway, so uh, Sean Hannity's your Al Sharpton, is what I'm trying to say. Um, but to understand those different views of things, I really got Harry with that one. He's like. <laughs> The truth is, is that Tommy Lauren is just a, a she's a, she's Jesse Jackson. Um, you have to get out, you have to have diversity of, in a, you know, diversity of thought, not just libertarian, but also Republican, Democrat, progressives, seeking out different ways of thinking about politics, but also different identities are really important. Because it does really speak to our biases. It's how we determine information. When I see a Confederate statue in 2012, it's different than I, the way I interpret it in 2020 because I have gone out and tried to talk to people other than the ones I look like, think like, and talk like, right? And, and birds of a feather tend to flock together. And so what initially was really important for my growth and my understanding of what's happening in America in terms of race was having Harry on the podcast and having racial conversations and Harry going, you don't understand. It's different for me. And I'm like, really? It's different for me. Yes. And then you, you go, Hey, other 15 black friends, like, is it different for you? Yes, it's way different. And eventually you start to get it because you start to go, "Whoa, I didn't understand this," you know? And so sometimes we have a tendency to only see Antifa as the enemy and and be and be manipulated into a new red scare. Because we're only talking to people who say the same things about Antifa, right? You you know, if you break out of your bubble, you start to go, oh, maybe he's overdoing the Antifa thing to try to scare white people into voting for him. Was trying to scare his base into voting for them. And it's like another version of McCarthyism or the Red Scare in 1917. And maybe he's overdoing. It. And then it kind of pinpricks the balloon and pops your mind a little bit. And so what I've been encouraged to do and have done over the last year is try to have more conversations with people who are, are far different than me and make and, and cause me to think differently because the way I grew up was in a 98% white town in a suburban neighborhood where everybody was a Republican. And, and, and so when I became a political person in my teens and twenties, like, of course I'm a Republican and I'm going to say the same things. I'm going to do the same things. I'm going to go this. And I have the Reagan poster And then you start to, like, talk to other people and you go, oh, Reagan and that drug war thing seems really bad, (laughs) you know? So, uh, let's start with Harry. Um, As you kind of watch this conversation over the last couple weeks or just, you know, overall over the last few years, like, what are you noticing? What are you seeing?
3: Alright, so it is one thing I've to notice is that sometimes certain videos will come out will, will help your other, uh, help other people to notice that things are different, you know? That it even throws my own life to, you know, like when things are different, like uh, when I got pulled over here in uh, Madison County and you know, they asked for my ID and I gave it to her, and then she offered her ID and he goes like, "I don't want that," and I was like, "Hey, why'd you offer your ID?" He's like, "Well, they always ask for yours when you're riding in the passenger seat." Oh, right. It's, <laughs> it, the uh, it is the watching when you watch the when, it, when you first watch the video and you first see the outrage, it's like okay here's another one. And this is, and and it sucks that's what, that's what's going on your brain. Like here is another example. And, and then you just kind of brace. So like, all right, how are they going to try to defend this? What, are, what, what crazy thing are they going to come up and investigate? And then, then you just start watching the actual outrage there, you know, people actually. By, by coming out, do
0: you mean like, cause there's always an out the, the, when it comes like the shootings, there's always an out, like, right white people conservatives generally generally oh, oh he has a record or right. well but chicago
3: there's always is that what you mean correct it's chicago he has a record well he was breaking a crime he was selling loose cigarettes did he deserve to die for loose cigarettes did he deserve to die for uh you know like just you know because he got a blown tail light out you know it is the the, the ridiculous of, well you're breaking the law and it's like that that even if he's just like dead direct, right, you got him breaking the law. That that law does not deserve death. Does not equal death. There, no one was there. was it? No one. Uh, no one was hurt until the officer got involved. You know the the and it just it just hurt. every time when they do it and it's you try to show people just you know you you. One, you try to show the message of, like, listen, you know, it's not the, it, police accountability needs to happen across the board. It's more than just a race thing. And you have to you try to turn the message like that to try to get people on board to actually see it. Or you try to say, like, well, the, a lot of these racist laws, you try to put it in the shape of, like, well, I'm trying to do this to save cops. This is dangerous for cops. What? Oh, I love cops. Cool. No knock rings are dangerous. Let me show you how they're dangerous for cops. Pulling people over for victimless crime because of that—that's like, dangerous. Let's not do that. Let's protect the cop. On all reality, it's like this no knock. Grave. It's probably going to happen on a black person. Oh, you know. And, it, and it's just and the thing is, it's I like the idea that it's getting more attention. Like everyone, like Brianna Taylor, right? Everyone is shocked at that one, and I'm like, dude, I've got like ten more articles of that one. I've got one where in Detroit caught through a flashbang through a through a window of a wrong house. The flashbang lit up, lit a, uh, a freaking crib on fire, and burnt a kid to death while they pushed the grandma down on the floor and arrested her as they, this kid was just getting burnt alive. It, it is just just, it, it is nice to watch people just finally pay attention and will actually take the message and actually try to run with it. I despise the... I still despise the looting and the riots. Violence and theft is wrong. And I'm just, I'm just glad that people are just finally paying attention. And it's kind of neat to watch it also happen worldwide. Of people just trying to go like, yes, stop this. This is, this has to stop. It. And, and, everyone's looking for some type of solution. The only solution I can tell is the idea of just like all, in most people, all we really want is just accountability. The take away the qualified immunity and that they the allow someone to at least civilly sue and criminally sue and to just have people accountable for charges you know it's it is just crazy when really people start diving into the data of how awful the different situation it is and how protected these people are yeah That's, yeah and and before any like the cop was like well you're creating this us versus them mentality it's like They've done that for years. But that's what the thin blue line is. It's us versus them. They've done, they've done it for years and try to make themselves and try to become the other this better, the stuff like that, that's different of so, such.
0: Yeah.
3: They're not. They're, 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 they have a job, and a lot of them also, which they also have a lot of animosity with their community because they also don't live in the community they police. A lot that I was like, well, I know some good cops. Yes, those IMPD officers that some people like, you know what? They probably live in Indianapolis and live close by those communities. Those IMPD officers that are dicks, soon five o'clock or whatever their shift's off, they're freaking out of Indianapolis. That's why I like Lawrence better, you know, because they actually live in their town. You see them in the grocery store. You know? Yeah. Most of the, if you, and if you don't know what I'm saying, take whatever big city town you have, right? Just get up find the suburbs and just watch all the cop cars coming in the morning or leave at night. Just watch them come in and out. Those are cops that don't live in your community, but police in that community a kind of separation. And so these double wall separation.
0: H- have you noticed a difference in the last couple months around this conversation than even, you know, when we were doing the show during Ferguson or, or
3: Philando Castile? I've noticed in the, yeah, the last couple of weeks, <laughs> before it was, you know, it was the same old, same old. People would dismiss it or trigger some of the case, but the, with this George Floyd thing. They are the people are paying attention and want more information, and just, they just can't believe they've been blind to a lot of it. You know, and
0: is it that there was such a clear cut video?
3: Yeah. Yep. This time it was it was so clear cut, and that everyone had to pay attention. There was nothing else going on to to do anything about it. Was just this. There was no sports games. There's nothing. This was the news, and that's so a great we had point. to look at it.
0: Yeah, that's nothing a great point. There's no distractions to it. Ryan, right. uh, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I think it might also do with the fact that we've had three instances within the like a month period of time too. Mm-hmm. Right. We had Aubrey and then we had Brianna and then now we've got, you know, this one. And it's like the first one was starting to kind of bubble and people were paying attention to it and just arguing about it. Then the next one happened. And while people were outraged about that one, this happened. And I think it just, that kind of helps mm-hmm. uh, people start to go, Oh, wait a minute. This isn't a once in every six month thing or once every year thing. This is something that's happening with frequency.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um Plus, you know, I I do think that the fact that it was front and center for the news and people were trying to find anything else to talk about other than the COVID stuff, and then this popped on the scenes. I mean, for a while there, we were talking about murder hornets, right? Mm -hmm. That lasted a few days. It still didn't get us where we wanted to go. This popped up, and now I think everybody was just looking for something else to think about or talk about, and they started to get it, and they started to think about it instead of just dismissing it or hearing the talking heads telling them what to think about it
3: yeah, yeah. Go ahead, i think we were like watching the video and you just kept one you always just kept waiting for cops also to do the other tactic of where they try to stop the filming right put a squad car between the camera and the person filming tell them to back up go after the camera footage you know so the so 17 year
0: old happen. a 17 year old girl that took that footage and kept it rolling for nine minutes in yeah. front of cops that were killing him. I mean, the, the stuff courage. Stuff. By her. Yeah, the courage by that. That girl is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then to have the uh, one of the policeman's
2: attorneys
4: mm-hmm.
2: ask, well, why didn't somebody, you know, if we were supposed to help stop this, why didn't anybody else do that? Why didn't the civilians come over and stop him from killing this guy? And
0: I'm, yeah, <laughs> everybody's I, like, I, I uh, I watched, you would have
2: killed them. Right. <laughs> Yes.
0: And if any of those officers, two of those officers were being trained by Chauvin. Mm-hmm. So they were on a training run with this guy and he was responsible for training them. It's apparently been a huge issue. Um y- y- and I think people are listening at a rate that is totally different. Like I even myself like I, I went to uh Amazon last night and was looking at the you know, they have the Anti-racism books and and like the suggestions, half of them are sold out. How to be ant, how to be anti-racist, white fragility. That is white people buying those books. I guarantee it. And and Mm -hmm. if you don't listen to the pat down, please do because we talk about this in this week's episode. And Dion made the point. he, He goes, people ask me all the time, "How do I fix it?" I don't know. If I could fix it, I would fix it. But when there is no accountability for police and they keep doing the same thing that they've been doing for literally the entire history of this country and it never gets solved. It never gets fixed and the government won't hold them accountable. It's up to the people to hold them accountable and that's the majority that has to do that and you aren't doing your jobs, white America. You're the ones that have to fix it. You're the ones who have to step up and start listening. Reading a book like White Fragility, which I bought, I know it's going to be uncomfortable, right? Like, and I know that there have been times on this on this podcast and on the Pat Down Podcast where talk, I don't want to seem racist. I don't, and I don't want to be a white liberal wearing, you know, a Ghana scarf or whatever. Nancy Pelosi, you know, I don't. I, I, I'm not. I'm not trying to be insulting, and I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm trying to be empathetic, but I haven't known where to start, and I don't think most white people they don't have an idea of where to start and they haven't really been motivated to do it And so now they go, no, this is the last generation. We're not doing this again. I watched LA 92 and I'm seeing the Rodney King footage and those people saying the same things that the protesters now are saying. My parents could have done something about it, but they kept voting the same way. You look Mm -hmm. at the Watts riots. My grandparents could have done something, but they didn't. They didn't pay attention to it. And I think our our generation kind of wants to say – uh, this is this is the last generation. Now, Remzo, you re- reached out to me because you have a very unique perspective. Harry is a black man in America. Reinhold and I are white. You know, you come at it from a totally different perspective. Talk yeah, about I'm a your racial
4: interview. platypus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you have a nice bill, sir.
4: Yeah, and I do want to say, like, I didn't know about the Tulsa bombings until my brother and I were watching Watchmen on HBO. Yeah. So, like in the first episode. And I'm like, this isn't real. And he's like, yeah, it is. And that shocked the living the, shit out of me. That the I had Move to bombings. I'm watching the, walk, the Watchmen of all things. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. The Tulsa well, race a- bombings. The Move bombings in Philadelphia in the 70s. You look, it, it's, it, it's there. If you go, I want you with new eyes or ears to go listen to NWA's Fuck the Police. I owned that CD. I bought that CD in 1997. And I didn't listen to the lyrics. I didn't listen to the words. I just love fuck the police. Oh, because fuck the police. That man was telling me everything that I needed to know. And it never stuck. It the never hit it. It took thing. Harry saying something five years ago for me to get it. You know, it's crazy Think
2: about the thing. It was There was a specific coordinated effort to bury that in that uh, news story. Yeah. It was basically just written out of all news and never spoken about by the community ever again. And it wasn't until maybe 10, 15 years ago when people started saying, hey, what's this deal? And and survivors were actually coming and saying, hey, yeah, this really did happen. And they started unearthing all of this. But it was yeah. a concerted effort.
0: To Renzo, can you explain it for people who don't know what we're talking about?
4: yeah i mean i always knew that black people hated oklahoma i just didn't know it until i watched the Watchmen. but basically the tulsa bombings i had to have my brother explain this to me after he finished watching the first episode of Watchmen on hbo which when i was watching it when it was on was a crappy series now i'm watching it and i'm like wow these people knew what was up but basically it was a collaboration between the local uh, tulsa government and multiple clan factions to essentially bomb and eradicate the black population of tulsa and when I mean bomb, I mean they were dropping stuff from planes. Yeah. Like it's some Pearl Harbors type shit. It was insane. And I, I looked back at some of my textbooks from high school. I couldn't find it. You'd think that would be there.
0: No, you get Harriet Tubman and Fred, Frederick Douglass and you get – you don't get the actual history of what – so – Dion and Miss Pat put it to me this way. We were talking about genealogy because I said, oh, yeah, I'm from Germany, and I've traced my line back to 1392 and the cupbearer of Würzburg. And and I, I go, so what's your lineage? Not knowing. And they go, we literally don't know after the past two generations. I go, what do you mean? We literally don't know. We literally can't because 400 years ago, They were brought here, their language was destroyed, their culture was destroyed, their names were destroyed, their family units were destroyed, and the identity that their white slave masters wanted them to have was put upon them. New names, new history, new—and so genealogy kind of stops in 1865, you know, Mm and— And then you have Jim Crow, and then you have Woodrow Wilson, the most racist president ever, resegregating the army. And then you have the Klan in the 20s. You have what you see in the 60s, which you learn about. And and you go, we're not that far removed. Like, the the little girl who went to school in 1965 is in her 60s right now. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not that far removed from it, you know? And so, Harry... The reality for black Americans is that there are still ghosts from that. And to pretend that we have solved all of our racial issues, I just think is is stupid when we can't get rid of government. We all see the effectiveness of government, but that still exists. Right.
3: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. These people are still around. Like it's like take Joe Biden, Joe Biden. Lifelong like politician, and he talks about like how he was there serving with people who were you know like segregation and buses. Like, look, listen, listen to this man. He was still in office with these people. Yeah, doing deal with these people.
4: I, I in My in my book has succeeded in politics and other forms of devil worship. It shocked people when they learned that George Wallace died in 1998. Yeah, that's the year my younger brother was born. 1998. And it's it's just one of those things. Um, I think Alabama was the last state to basically outlaw um, ra- the, the uh, they, they got rid of their law, basically saying that people of two different races cannot marry in the state. They got rid of that in like 2000. Like that's 20 years ago.
0: Al- Alabama in 2000. Yeah, the interracial to remove from the Constitution, the ban on interracial marriage. Forty percent of Alabamians voted against removing that. Now it was kind yeah. of confused confusingly worded but you're going I mean the margin of error isn't that strong like that's 40%. It's
4: the the, the whole conversation conversation I'm I'm lisping sorry folks. The whole conversation of race in America has always been really complicated me because for me because depending on where I've lived and depending on what the main culture is heading towards of that given area I've always been something different to people. I don't really talk about it a lot, but people usually end up asking me this. They don't ever ask me like online because they're afraid I'm going to screenshot it and be like, look, this person assumed I'm something. But usually when like I've gone to events, I, I spoke at Freedom Fest in 2017 and I had a lot of people come over and ask me this because they're like, you have a very strange name. You're, <laughs> you know, like, you're, like You have a very, like, it's just Ramza William Martinez. And they're like, it's just where 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 the fuck did the William come from? And you know, it's it, it. I'll admit, like I get it, but you know, my my father, his mother was of German ancestry, grew up in Tennessee, and his father was from Morobes, Puerto Rico. Morobes is like the the back hills, like you know, that banjo people, dun, 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 dun like <laughs> of Puerto Rico, like they're those type of people. They're real mountain Puerto Ricans. They don't come out. And that's his parents. And then for my mom, her mom is full-blooded Korean. Her dad was a wasp, a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant from New York and Michigan. And somehow all the worlds collided, and I'm here. And my middle name is the first name of of my maternal grandmother, William Arthur Brownell. My brother's middle name is Brownell. So when you get both of us, it's William Brownell in honor of him. But it's also, you know, growing up, we, we didn't really see that as anything but normal. That's just our family. When I go to Florida, they speak Spanish. When I'm at home with my mother's mother, my my maternal grandmother, we're speaking Korean. And I always knew that it was different. I just didn't know how different it was for other people. So growing up, um, you know, I was in an active duty military family. I was born in a small border town in Arizona called Sierra Vista. Like Sierra Vista was like a few thousand people and everyone knew each other. And it was just a very small, very tight knit desert community. And then I moved in 2003 to Australia. What was happening in 2003? The invasion of Iraq. Suddenly, all race goes aside. Suddenly, I'm taking all the sins of America. And even though I was like nine or 10 at the time, you know, all these kids I was going to school with. All they do is echo what their parents say. And what do their parents know about America? They're getting it from CNN. So suddenly I'm getting bullied based off what George Bush is doing. And that really confused me because I didn't really know anything about anything. I was a kid. I didn't even know where Iraq was. Uh, You know, fun fact, Saddam Hussein was captured on my birthday. And, um, you know, that was just really funny. And then I remember coming back to America in 2005. And I was like, you know, I'm looking forward to coming back to the states where things are normal. And my definition was we don't just randomly put the sins of other people on others. And what do I know, I come back and I move to Kansas, and suddenly I'm Mexican. And it, it just really bugged me because it's like, I'm not Mexican. I'm Puerto Rican. I don't even speak Spanish, but according to the people there, I'm Mexican. And then what happens a few years later, I moved down to Fort hood, Texas, and I go to school. Now they are real Mexicans like, like real, real Spanish speaking. I just came across the border Mexicans and I'm white Mm. amongst the students. But according to the school officials, I am a non—I'm a, I'm a non-English-speaking Hispanic. I don't know how that happened, but when it came time to fill out forms and to you know do sensing uh, meetings with students to learn about the school, where do they put me? They put me in the group of children who were not American citizens who also barely spoke English. And then here you have me in the class. I'm an American citizen and I don't speak Spanish. And here I am trying to tell the the instructors and the teachers, I shouldn't be here. I'm an American. I speak Spanish. And what do they do? I I, I I know that other people who come from different countries where they speak different languages have experiences. They just suddenly ignore me. And the fact that I'm speaking crystal clear English to them and it's, you need to go sit down. <laughs> you need to go over there. And they're really enunciating it and they're slow and they're speaking like I'm a five-year-old and I'm like, I only know English. That's all I know. And it was just one of those things where it really began to click with me. How is it I was one thing in one place and I'm something completely different, but the students look at me and they see a white guy, a white kid, but according to the, to the teachers and the school faculty and everything, because of a clerical mix up, suddenly I'm a non-English speaking non-citizen. And then things just get stranger because then I move over to Virginia and I've been here since 2007. And Northern Virginia is very multicultural. I'll say it's even, you know, doubled in its population of people from overseas uh, just in the past five, six years. I love living here. But it was also very strange because in high school, people really only hung out with people that looked like them. And it was always very strange for me because here I am. I was one thing elsewhere and I'm another thing over there. And now I'm here and I'm not going to go sit with the kids whose parents are day laborers who barely speak English. The white kids make fun of my name. The one thing that actually helped me was the fact that I was a giant comic book nerd. And you know who loves comic books? Black people love comic books, as I learned. Hmm. And I go and I hang out with most of my black friends because we would trade and read comic books. And it, you know, it looked kind of strange. I know that the teachers would look over and be like, oh, is a fight going to happen? Because you have a non-black kid sitting at the black table. And that's how they referred to it. That's, the way, that's where the blacks live. That's where the Colombians eat. That's where the white kids from, you know, the, the neighborhood across the street where all their parents are former defense contractors live. Is a fight going to break out? And it was always just so strange And it's been a struggle I've had really my entire life that I wasn't cognizant of until I went overseas as a child. And then I came back as a, you know, as an adolescent. And it's something I I still had to deal with. I I lived in Alabama for two years. I went to Marion Military Institute outside of Selma, Alabama. And let me tell you, living in the Deep South, everyone's going to ask what you are if they have no clue what you are. Really? And it's been, you know, it, it's it's opened up a lot of conversations with people. It's closed a lot of conversations with people. I've been at places where I was the minority hire, and I lost, and then, you know, I I lost some jobs because, oh, we, we're, we want somebody with more diversity. Well, what does that mean? Is that culture? Is that race? The thing that always bothered me growing up, especially in high school and college, was when they give you forms where you have to go ahead and um, write down you know, what you identify as. And I really don't think a lot of Americans – and I, you know I might get a little testy here, but white liberals. White liberals really can't tell the difference between race, ethnicity, and cultural identity. I think they really struggle with that. Explain, and I say that only that, because please. the term Latino was made up by white liberals in academia. Because explain you go know anywhere else in Latin or South America and Latinos aren't real.
0: Right. Can you explain that a little bit more?
4: Yeah, people? absolutely. I I mean, depending on the form, and I bet we could Google forms where it's like, you know, racial identity and stuff. You know, you've got Asians and Pacific Islanders. Well, what do you really mean by Asians? Are you saying people that are from, you know, Upper Asia, like the Koreans, the Chinese, what about the Japanese? Are you saying that Asians are the same as people from India or Pakistan? And then why do you go ahead and put Pacific Islanders in there? Tom Woods in his book, um, you know, historical facts about America, they don't want you to know, or something like that. He he basically tells people that um, a lot of predominantly white communities, when they were making up these standards for how to identify which groups of kids are doing better, they saw that Asians were better, predominantly Chinese and Korean students were doing better, than. Predominantly white students. So what they did was they put, you know, Pacific Islanders who, who historically have not done very well in terms of test scores and things like that. They lumped them in with the Asians to go ahead and bring down the overall Asian score. And then what they do is they have, a, you know, white Latino or white non-Latino, and it's like, well, what do you really classify as a Latino? Because Latinos don't really know what Latinos are. Latinos is Latinos not a real term, and now they're calling it Latin X to make it, you know, gender neutral. And it's like, you're you're just making up more things. It's like, you know, subtle hypocrisy with more steps. And it's like, well, you know, I think that I'm white sometimes, but I've been told by other people. I was told by adults quite often that I'm not white and that I'm dealing with a, you know, an oppressive white culture. And then, you know, the, the thing that's always been a trouble for me is when I tell people I'm a Republican or I'm a libertarian, suddenly I lose all my minority points and suddenly I'm part of the white privilege problem with America. And it's like, but, you know, according to where I am, I'm either white or I'm not white. I can't tell people I really don't know what I am sometimes. And it's not because I'm trying to be facetious. It's just because it's almost like I'm a Rorschach. And people put what they assume of me and my and how I look, my complexion, I'm usually darker when I'm out in the sun or my name, and they apply to me what I am. And it's like, there's like, am I going to defend myself? Do I have to pick something? Why do I have to pick? Chris... Sometimes I wish I was a, I w- I was 100% something. Sometimes I wish I was full-on Asian. Sometimes I wish I was full-on Hispanic. Sometimes I wish I was full-on white, just so that way I could deal with less bullshit from people. But the truth is, and we, we discussed this as we were chatting the other night, I, I'm part of a large and growing population of the United States, which is multicultural and which is multiracial. And... They don't have a place in this conversation.
0: Yeah, I mean, millennials are 40% multicultural, uh, multi ethnic. Um, I I think so often it's kind of like, oh, well, white privilege isn't real. White privilege, I guess, the way to put it is that I have to learn about this stuff. I haven't had to experience what Remzo and Harry are going, you know, like what you two have just described to me are complicating factors that I don't have to go through. And I don't know how to account for that. I just know that like my racial identity has never played a single thing. Like other than the conversations I'm having about race, it's, I don't have the same complicating factors that you guys have. I mean, so I guess you have to explain to me how you view that. But like, I just have figured out, like, wow, that's a really complicated story. I mean, how does that play into your psychology, Remzo? It's
4: it, it's one of those things where whenever I was starting a new chapter in my life, whether I was at work or at school or something else, I always knew that's going to be one of the first things that come to people's minds. When I started dating my girlfriend, and we've been together for five years, um, that was something that did come up. With her family, because I we started dating, and then we I didn't meet her family for another five months, and she didn't meet mine until um, you know a few months in, um, because my family drove down to Lynchburg for my birthday. She didn't know what my family was like, so the next thing she, she she sees my parents. You know, two very good-looking people that have, you know, very light Caucasian complexion. And the complicated thing is my brother also makes things complicated. My brother, Ryan Martinez, award-winning producer for our show The Witching Hour. And he has brown eyes and blonde hair and the palest complexion ever. And he speaks Spanish. I don't. That freaks people out. So she saw that, and she was expecting. Who was she expecting? Tomato pickers? I don't know. But I know <laughs> when she saw my parents, they were not what she expected. And then when I met her parents, I'll never forget her mom's face, um, because you know her, her. Some people in her family were like Martinez. Like, who is he? Where is he from? And then when I met her mom around Christmas, I brought flowers, and she looked at me, and she kind of paused. And I kind of paused for a second. I'm like, oh, she's she's looking me up and down. Like, what's going on? And then it's like, you know, some weight was lifted from her shoulders. And I'm not going to assume what she thought, but I spoke to my girlfriend about it later. And she was like, yeah, mom was thinking you were probably more Hispanic than you are. And I laughed at that, but then I, you know, and I, I love her mother. Her mother's been great to me. She's treated me remarkably. Uh, We have a great relationship, but that was one of those things I had to think of when we were first getting to know each other. Would that have been a problem if I was, I'll never know. And I don't think she's prejudiced at all. She's one of the nicest, caring, most sensitive, compassionate people I've ever met, but It's always going to be one of those lingering things that was there. I'll tell you one of the funniest moments of my life was when I was an intern at the Media Research Center. I was in (laughs) Newsbusters, and I had the guy from Newsbusters Latino come in, and I knew who he was because he was the only, only Hispanic person in the room, in the the entire building. And he comes over, and he's like, I'm so – hello. It's great to meet you. And I stand up. And I'm like, what can I do for you? He's like, I have something I want to ask you. And I lost my shit. I was like, no. I know what this is because I've seen it before. I'm nobody's token. Anything? I don't even speak Spanish. And I, I I liked Mitt Romney as a kid. What do you say? Like, what? What am I? I? I'm not going to be able to fit into anything you want. And he looked at me and he started laughing. And he was like, "Well, you know, I'd like to congratulate you for being empowered and everything, but I was just going to ask you to pay attention to this hour of CNN because they're going to talk about something about, uh, you know, Nicolas Maduro in Venezuela. And I'm leaving. I just want to know if you it and I was I felt so embarrassed I'm like oh shit how
0: racist of you
4: how racist of me and yeah it was it, it was funny but you know but
0: that knee-jerk it, reaction is a part of your psychology
4: and it was something that happened I, I called myself Mitt Romney's worst volunteer it's actually a literal chapter in my book because by the time that I would have you know, I I, vol- I needed to get community service hours for school. And because it was an election year, the year before I graduated, I needed to do it. And I liked politics. So I thought I'd volunteer for Mitt Romney. But I found out that Mitt Romney was just a white, boring Obama. And he was just as terrible. So I was like, I don't like this guy. But as I was getting emails back from people from the local GOP, they wanted me to be part of their minority task force. And their you know, his, uh, Latinos for Romney. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get that. Why, why, why would I do that? Right. I want to do other stuff. And before I could knock on a single door, make a phone call, do anything, I ghosted them, didn't get the credit. The credit didn't ultimately matter, but that bothered me. And, but, and that, but then things like that kept happening as I got older. So then by the time I get to MRC in 2017, it, you know, I just, I just lost it. And I felt incredibly embarrassed. And, you know, now I look back and I'm like, uh, you know, it, maybe it had to happen, but it's it's something that I've gotten better with handling because things like that did come up um, on one of the campaigns that I was staffing for in 2016. They asked me to be part of their um, you know Latinos for wh- whatever his name was. And I said, no, because I have there's nothing Latino about me other than part of my racial heritage and my name, because, you know, if I had to pick something, I'd say I'm more culturally Korean than anything right i know i've never been to puerto rico i don't speak an ounce of spanish in fact when i had to learn a language in school i chose french because my parents were like you gotta learn spanish or korean so i chose the language of neutrality
0: (laughs) (laughs) wave the white flag harry do you want to talk about your relationship at all
4: well with uh
3: what do you mean with with, with, Uh, because he talked
0: about some of the complicating factors and i wonder if that resonated with you at all
3: I've I had some, uh, and I you're think,
0: free to say no. I mean, you know. I'd,
3: yeah, but I don't think mine is really worse. It's like, uh, I remember having the realization when I was in college one time. And it was just it just kind of hit me, and I kind of like destroyed the white liberals next to me, and they're sort of like, "What's?" And, and I just sit there going, "Like, I don't know if I'm here in college because of my merit or affirmative action," and. And there was just, I took the air out of the room and I just had to just had let that off my chest. Like, no, Harry, you're incredibly just like, yes, I know that. But I don't know that. You know, it's just one of those unknown knowns. The other thing is when you, oh, this happened a week ago here at, um, at, at my job. We had a huge, massive meeting and our boss decided to wanted to talk about the Floyd stuff. And he said, and so I'm in a room with a bunch of just uh quote unquote full blown full blown Asian guys and white people. And it's just me.
0: <laughs> Did you get a lot of hugs and apologies?
3: Well luckily it was a uh, you know just a zoom call. All so. right. God. <laughs> <laughs> and I just turned and I just had to, like everyone just, turn
0: around and apologize to Harry. <laughs> you
3: know, and, but the other but you know, and they're like and I and luckily right I was also in a room with some, some nice joking like people because I turn the mic off I turn our camera off and I just turn over them and go should I play the race card and say we don't have any black people in director or C-level management yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's you know because I was like I'm the highest ranking black person in this entire company <laughs> this is my time to make a power play yeah <laughs> But one thing, like I remember, always brought up is like uh, that hit me when you said, like you wish you were a hundred percent of something, because I'm starting to think about like it's one of the, because my daughter is she's gonna grow up mixed race, and I'm like, oh, well, you know, it's and uh, she is going to have some difficulties, and it's not something, and I know, but, like people like you know, you don't know, try to think about that, but it just start hitting on me sometimes it's like you know you know if she was 100 percent black she would you know she would have quote-unquote a tribe to belong to other than you know but there's tons of mixed kids are hanging she got the hanger she can hang around with or quote-unquote mix whatever my wants to call that term it's the easiest term out there it's just they're mixed you know yeah i mean it's, i i those thoughts
0: reinhold i don't think i've ever had the thought of like i'm a hundred percent white like it just and i think that's sort of the thing that we miss on our end is that it's not a factor because society is set up for us like we are libertarians with chris spangle is a libertarian podcast but let's be honest if it were we are libertarians with harry price a lot of libertarians would go that's the guy that's the black libertarians podcast you know there's that that impulse i mean am i wrong harry
3: you you are not wrong, this probably would be labeled as that's the that's the black podcast.
4: Right. Like <laughs> I, I punk had man. that I had oh, that problem. I,
3: yeah,
4: I had that problem when I was trying to get into uh, broadcasting here in Virginia because I had a lot of people tell me, you know, you, you could use a little bit more experience, but you would be great for our AM Spanish speaking show. And I said, <laughs> Well, that's nice if I spoke Spanish. Right motherfucker no <laughs> but i mean I, I had that happen honestly all the time i had like three stations between arlington great falls and manassas all say uh we need somebody for spanish programming and it's not like on my resume i put i'm fluent or even fluent in like spanglish for example mm-hmm. they just assumed it based off my name alone right. because they would never have asked me that if my name was john smith or something they would have never asked that, and I, I'm I'm not saying that as a negative thing to people. It's just how it is. I, I I'm not mad at them or anything. I just know that's an assumption they made. But that that really bothered me because it was like, am I only is my only way to be in is to one learn a language that I'm really not interested in learning. I, I'm really not. And second, you know, I have to really double down on being you know, being whatever their definition of Latino is. This is why, you know, Republicans always rubbed me the wrong way because i it's like whenever I tried to get into active politics, they always tried to put me in something that had to do with minority outreach or something. And it's like, well, I grew up in middle-class America. Like, I'm not going into, you know, the, the, the city. I'm not going into Baltimore or D.C. for this. Like if they see me, they're gonna see a joke. Is the, is the term for other. that?
0: Is the term for that otherizing? I think that like.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it, it was like that with radio. I had somebody literally tell me, you know, if you came up with an alias or a different name, it might work. And I'm like, what's more memorable than Remso Martinez? There's literally only me. What do you want? Like Joe Pags? Oh, what if I? What if I change my name to Rush Limbaugh or Glenn Beck?
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, we need you to part? be. Up. We need you to be Jose Gonzalez.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Welcome so, back.
0: Yeah, I, I I had a friend who was in the Republican Party, and he was black, and this one guy, walked, state legislator walked up to him and said, you know, thank you so much for being here. I really hope that more of you come from oh. now on. Now, that guy thought that he was making a very positive statement, and my friend, who is incredibly funny and smart, Looked at him and goes, you know what? I will bring that up at Black Club next time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and and I'm just I, like. I'm sorry uh, to
4: interrupt. I have, a, I have a thing I say when people ask me about, you know, the Latino community or something. I'm like, well, you know, on our, on our last Skype call with all of the others, we had to you know make it quick because the Mexicans wouldn't shut up. But I'll bring it up. Like I bring up a Latino Skype call.
0: Yeah. And and I bring that up because I don't want what about because you mentioned white liberals, white liberals, white liberals are just as bad at a lot of this stuff because they come with condescension as well as racism. Because, you know, I'm just and, and Martin Luther King wrote about it. just look up white liberal racist and you'll see Martin Luther King kind of talk about it. Mm-hmm. The, the the problem is that for your name to work, Rimzo, you're the one that needs to change. The rest of us, listen, we just can't get used to your weird name. I'm sorry. You can't, you know, you need to change your name to something that is more fitting, right? Like that's, that is when they say white privilege, that's what they're talking about is that RIMSO has to change, not us, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know why understanding these different frameworks is somehow, I think people think, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong here. I think people think that if they admit a problem, then they have to co-sign the solutions of the other side. So if you admit that education, public education is a problem, then all of a sudden you're full bore public, you know, for, for charter schools. If you believe that global warming is a problem, then all of a sudden you have to believe the Green New Deal. If you admit that there's structural racism in the United States, there's biases against people of color, then all of a sudden you're for socialism. And you're an AOC lover. And I don't buy that. I think that that is what's holding people back is that they they view it as if I admit this is a problem, then I'm A, going to have to probably change some of my behaviors, which I don't want to do. B, I'm going to probably have to have some uncomfortable, uncomfortable conversations, which I don't want to do. And C, I might have to start figuring out different solutions than the one I've been advocating for 40 years. And and so and the reality is that the era of comfort is over, whether you like it or not. Like the reality is that if you believe in a politics of domination, that time is over. The time of empathy has arrived and libertarians are the best suited to enter that conversation with peaceful, nonviolent solutions to a freer world. And it requires us being empathetic about it and having those conversations because the other two sides are always going to offer up violence. They're always going to offer up domination. They're always going to offer up the broken structures we have now. Whereas if libertarians can lean into this and start having the conversations that we need to have, then maybe we have a chance at deleveraging those other two sides from their position of violence and starting to have a more empathetic world. I look at the last decade – you look at the advancement in attitudes towards gay people, the Me Too movement and the, the change in attitude that people have towards women, the change in attitude towards race. These changes are good. The, the, the idea that I will live in a society with other people that have different cultures, different values, different belief systems than me, it, it's just how it is. Like it, it exists, and you can no longer use the state to force the outcomes that you want. And so if you're still buying into violent solutions, like, I think that we need closed borders. Well, I'm sorry, you're, you're just not, you're, you've lost. Like the world of video cameras and cell phone cameras and pictures of kids in cages, you've lost. Police brutality and law and order and gassing people for political fo- photo ops and, and campaign ads, you've lost. That world is over. And so the world is nonviolent. The world wants nonviolent solutions. They want peaceful cooperation. And who better than us to give it? But we have to not be afraid to have the conversations about real problems that exist. It doesn't mean that you're going to lose your identity. I'm still a Christian. I'm still a white suburbanite. I went to Chili's the other night. It was the best meal I've had in so long. Like I'm like being white, Christian, conservative leaning, libertarian, these things are not going to change in me just because I'm on a podcast with Miss Pat, who is of a completely different culture than me. And I am looking at her experience going, that's not right, or this shouldn't happen, or listening to Remzo and Harry and going, like, okay, how can I, how can I be, how can I do something differently? Right? How can I give space to have these conversations? Or if running you're running a business. Think about your own hiring practices. Do you do you have these underlying bias? Admitting this stuff exists doesn't mean that you're going to start voting for AOC. I promise.
3: Yeah, and it's okay to admit these things and and you and you can know these things. And this is how you should treat someone, right? The same way you would treat anyone else. Right. Don't treat us differently. Don't give us special privileges. Do nothing with us. Leave us alone. Let us do what we need to do and treat us like a regular person. Not asking, no one's asking for special treatment. Just,
0: I'm sorry, but I this is going to be awkward now. Dennis and I are going to wash your feet, yeah. so it's just no, it's a, no, no we just have to say sorry to Remzo and Harry, mm-hmm. and so we're going to wash their feet. Uh,
3: I pay someone to do that, so don't touch
2: me. Here's my thing <laughs> you know. I mean, that's what I like about libertarianism is it's really based on the idea of individualism that you are judged by you. And the things you can control. I was born looking white. I mean, I've got uh, a lot of different mix in my in my uh, genetic makeup, as it were. Um, <clears throat> I just happened to, the the dice just happened to roll, and I look white. So, I mean, I was primarily, I guess you would say, dirty German, which was uh, the Aryan Germans who were overrun by the Moors. Right? Dirty so German, was- my least
0: favorite sex move, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Not as good as Filthy Sanchez, but it right. is, is a little bit better than that. But, um, so, yeah, I just, you know, the individualism is where I think people are starting to go. When you start having a society that is becoming racial fluid, as it were, like, like you said, 40% of, the, of your generation is mixed, that's going to get bigger eventually this whole notion which is a s- societal notion anyway of race which doesn't really exist we're all just people we all come from the same ori- origin point right we can trace it back we know who that was so noah adam and eve <laughs> the
4: aliens eve. the aliens shut uh, up sinner well, well
2: descendant of the gods okay yeah. <laughs> all right yeah harry harry was a descendant of the gods but the rest of us You know, we came from the other stuff, the breeding stock, but we, uh, I mean, we all came, we just diverged because of isolation and, and movements and things like that. We're coming back together as a society, because as a world, because we're, we have a lot more movement now. So people are going to start intermingling and intermixing and the race is whole race thing is going to go away. You don't want to limit your gene pool, right? you want that gene pool. Look what happened to the Europeans when they started trying to really isolate and limit their gene pool. It, it really wasn't a good idea. So you want to broaden that the same with social uh, ideas, cultural ideas, different thoughts, different ways of viewing the world. The more differences we have, the better as a, a race, a human race we can become as a society. We can become embracing. That is what we really need to be doing and not trying to, Blame one side or the other or that a lot of people are upset, I think, because they're afraid they're going to be the blamed for all the sins of the past. it's like nobody cares about the sins of the past in in you. Nobody's going to assume that you did anything wrong a 100 years ago. But we want you just to recognize what's going on around you now. And that's where the frustration is, because people are, are resistant to that. Um. So I don't know. I just, uh, right. I, for- I always see things as when I, when I check those boxes, which I hate those boxes on those forms because I just, I just think it's a, not the government's business, what my genetic makeup is. I don't want to give them a, a 32 and me sample so they can have it on file. I will never do one of those. Um, I check other. So I don't want them to know it and, and they don't need to know it. When I fill out my census, it's never answered on that. On that form, I always put in people, number of people who live here, and that is it. That's all they need to know. So let's let's start seeing each other as individuals who have all different ideas. I, I know people who are different races who feel like they get stuck into This is what my culture does, so I kind of have to like this or I kind of have to want to do that when they really don't want to, right? You don't have to be beholden to what genetic makeup you happen to be. That's not who you are. Who you are is who you choose to be, the decisions you make in your life, the things that you care about, the things that mean something to you. That's who you are, not the way the genetic code happened to happen or what side of a line you were born on or any of that stuff. right? And until I think society starts to move in that direction, that's when we're going to start seeing actual progress being made in this. And I'm, I'm hoping that we're getting closer there with this, what's going on. I don't think we're going to be there yet, though. I think it's going to take another generation or two, but I think we're getting there.
0: All right. Thanks for white explaining, <laughs> dirty oppressor. Yeah. I um, no, I think there is on all sides, and and, and even on the right, and, and Trump is a master of this, and it's why if you look at our Instagram, it's a lot when we post, especially with Heretic and Ryan, when he posts something that's like how to be a good ally at a Black Lives Matter rally, and like it blows up the comments because all those right-leaning young libertarians who are 17 and think Paul Joseph Watson or Ben Shapiro are libertarianism they can't handle it they can't process it because this is this is leftist. Well, they're viewing things in terms of identity. They're not viewing things in terms of ideology. You know, we we tend to float based on our identity towards the right or the left and and get seduced by that that group but as individual is, uh, who, people who believe in individualism you have to hold to the ideology and understand the basic principles, not get persuaded by issues either because people go, "I like this issue I don't like this issue and so people drift a little bit um, uh, One note Les has a great suggestion for Remzo's name if we're going to change it. Carter Spinwright Woolworth III.
4: that is catchy.
0: I laughed so hard, uh, Esquire. It, so no, that was not white explaining. That was legit. Well said. I was just teasing. I was just <laughs> teasing our oppressor. Yeah, I
4: mean, I mean, Reinhold, he he said what I've been, you know crying out to people for years but never really had the words to say in many situations because all i ever wanted to just be you know, actually here, here's a quick story and i'll stop on my tangent i i was interviewing for a job for a weekend show in charlottesville virginia and the guy who was the program director and hosted the the monday through friday show he asked me so what do you want to be you want to be like the next rush limbaugh and i told him no i just want to be the first stremson martinez and he he paused for a second and he said That's the first good answer I've ever gotten from somebody. And it was it was just kind of funny because I thought when I said that it was really corny. I was hoping to solicit a laugh, but he you know he's only dealt with people that wanted to be somebody else, and I think that's something that everybody has a problem with. you know I've been watching like a lot of those real housewife shows because I'm <laughs> stuck at home with my family, and it's like all those women who I see them, I see a lot of women who married into money and are, just know all the right people. I see them as all you know just all these spoiled women, but they're all incredibly self conscious. They all want to be somebody else. And I think that's the problem with everything. You look at you know, Utopia and the story. What did they do? They kept hacking off different groups of people until eventually they were left with nothing. All I've ever wanted to just be is be myself and not have to justify anything to other people. I mean, that's why I liked Ayn Rand as a kid growing up. That's why I still like The Fountainhead when Howard Dwork is like, how do you know what you don't want to Peter Keating? who's asking him what he should do with his life. How, does it bug you not to know what you don't want in life? And that, that really you know, that, that really struck a core of me because that's all I've ever wanted to do. I meet so many people who deal with the same thing. And it's not even a racial identity thing. It's not even a cultural thing. It's just people who want, who want to be seen for themselves.
0: You mentioned Ayn Rand and Dan, almost at the exact same moment, says, what's the hot take on Ayn Rand's The Individual is the Greatest Minority? Thoughts on this, fellas? Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with it, but here's how I see it used. And this is it, it, it's a whataboutism. And so the yeah. so the, the issue that I see with this phrase or but Chicago or you know, why don't they take care of their own, all that stuff is all lives matter. All lives matter, you know, it's 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 an out, right? It's it's the same as he had a criminal record, so that but that butt gets really loud. And so I, I just would encourage people, if you're saying stuff like that, like, think about it. Are you avoiding looking at the issue? Because it kind of plays into what Josh is asking here. And I'll let, you know, Harry and Rimzo answer this. I have thoughts, but I'm going to be a good ally. And uh, let you two answer first. Uh, Josh says, I think we're all receptive to the complaints of minorities, but what do we do about it? What policies can we try to enact or repeal that will help beyond our typical quest to minimize the power of government? Uh, We are going to do a show about some of this stuff. But what are you what are your thoughts about that question?
4: Harry, you want to do like a rock, paper, scissors thing? <laughs> um, if, if, if it's okay, I'll go first. I mean, you're, I, higher, on the, you're this...
0: higher on the intersectionality scale, so go ahead. <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, I like I, you know, watching this whole thing, this whole situation we're seeing right now in the wake of George Floyd. It's got so many different conversations going on, but the, I think the only one that matters is this. And I, you know, I, I understand that this, this is not a point that other listeners of the show have, but I think this has more to do with people who dislike Trump going out putting up the black lives matter signs, then they actually do care about fixing the actual problems. I think it really comes down to terse surface issues. I don't, I wish it wasn't that way, but I think it does. I think that has more to do with it, but ultimately I I think this comes down to the one thing. And I think this is the one term that I love people who aren't even interested in talking politics. I've been seeing a lot more people talk about, and it's this, it's the monopoly of violence. It's the monopoly of violence. And what we need to do is we need actual an actual equal distribution of the law. What we need to do is we need to respect individual rights and understand if you wouldn't be comfortable giving your worst enemy a gun to point at you, imagine how they are if you're pointing the gun at them. It's not the fact that you know people liked the Patriot Act when George Bush did it, and then when Obama did, it, they didn't like it. It's not the fact that now Trump is in charge of the surveillance state, and now they you know they liked it when Obama was doing it. it it's it's these it's these monopolies of force that ultimately bring out the worst in us and to downsize and mitigate that and limit that in every possible way, that's going to clear the way for so many great things to happen. We had Christian Watson, a young voices contributor right in the Washington times opinion section last week. You know, if you want to go ahead and help, you know, black people growing up in urban cities understand one, the people running those cities, and he never said Democrat. He just said, Oh, those people in cities want to run how you operate your business. They want to run what you could do with your property. If you just got out of their way and let people voluntarily associate with each other and make money, amazing things would happen. Oh, and you know, not that it should matter. Christian Watson is a, is a black man. So, I mean, it white liberals. There's your answer coming from the community that you say you care about.
3: Yeah, that's the,
4: libert- the
3: libertarian philosophy actually got, you know, it's it, it's on the correct side of this. The, a lot of the different things that Black Lives Matter and a lot of these things that they're talking about is that police have the ability or the state, let's just go with the state, Is it be, has the ability to enforce certain laws, and they can enforce it where they want and, and how they want, it, depending on what they want to do. It, uh, it is easier to check boxes off and look good and get reelected as a prosecutor and look tough on crime. So what's the easiest thing to bust? The easiest thing to bust is someone who is not going to lawyer up, does not have huge connections to get a big stink on Twitter or on the golf course. And I don't hear if they have to hear their mouth when I go back to to back to the Columbia club. So who doesn't have connections at that? Usually it's going to be in the poor neighborhood. So I'm going to hit the white poor trailer park and I'm going to hit the poor, poor, poor neighborhood. So having laws be able to harass these people to have boxes check off, I think that that will help out. I think that's a one aspect of it. Uh, so yes, you could say that. Yes, it's the typical like it's going to be this exact same talking points of that libertarians have gone to, but more of a understanding that you need to be able to wrap it and come with empathy on the person that you're talking to coming with it very static or, uh, this, or just not trying to feel or put emotion to who people who are or not trying to wrap it together for that. Then you're just going to seem like, you know, you, you kind of push the, you push them where they're not going to want to listen.
0: Yeah. And, and Dan wanted us to, to mention it was, it, uh, he definitely didn't intend to to use the Ayn Rand individual greatest minority thing as a cudgel. He was, we all agree with it. I was using it as an illustration um, because it's, it's counterproductive to use it. And I think that that's my answer. And that's the thing that I've, I've kind of like, that's where I'm at with the conversation is that to be heard is a fundamental human right. And What you hear most often when you watch the news or you read interviews is, I just want you to hear me. I just want you to see this video and hear what we're saying. I want you to understand. I don't want you, like you said, come with a static response of all lives matter or the individual's the greatest minority or take care of Chicago first as if black people are not concerned with black-on-black crime, which is just insane. What they want is for you to give a fuck – and, and when you say all lives matter as an out and I'm not going to have this conversation, you're basically saying, I don't give a fuck. And I think one of the biggest reasons that we didn't mention when we're talking about why is there this big surge of this conversation, it's that so many white Americans in March and April and May, for the first time in their adult lives, felt the economic insecurity that most people of color feel every day or that the poor feel every day of any color. In this country, because all of a sudden, holy shit, the government is taking away my job. The government is doing something to me that I can't control. They're pointing guns at me unnecessarily. I don't agree with this. This isn't fair. I'm going to protest. And then you go out and protest, and 80% of the country went, I don't give a fuck. I'm not listening to you. And then you get mad because nobody's listening to you. And so they just want you to care. They just want you to listen. They want you... They're not asking you to... I'm sure there are people who are, are going to want to use this to usher in a socialist government. Okay? I get that, right? But that doesn't mean you have to go along with that part. But there's... Mm-hmm. It's it's separate the problem from the solution and come at this with an open heart because they're your fellow Americans. They're human beings. They're people. The experiences that Harry and Rimzo are talking about tonight... That sucks, and what behaviors or language do you use or reactions to people of color do you have that you can change? I had to learn this when I was dating. I needed good female friends to say, look at this text message. You're being really passive-aggressive. That's really gross. This is awful behavior. You're being controlling here and here, and you don't know. like You don't realize because you're just operating from the same position that you've always put... like." And then you had to have someone who is in a different it, it, who is not of your group going you're doing this thing that I hate. You're doing this thing that everybody hates. And the second I like started talking to my female friends, my dating life got instantly better because all of a sudden I was taking personal responsibility. I was checking myself. I was going to therapy to deal with the insecurity that led to that passive aggressive behavior, right? And so I had to check myself and so has my life gotten much richer because I did that thing that fixed me that led to better relationships with women that I treat them more respectfully? Absolutely. Is my life better because I have chosen to start paying attention and giving a fuck about racial issues? My life is better. Like, it Empathy and love always makes your life better. And I think that's, for me, the thing that I, you know, how can I... We, we love to look at the government. We are obsessed with the government as libertarians. So what's the government need to stop doing to fix this problem? The problem isn't the government. you got to stop blaming somebody else. It's you. You're the problem. You're voting for the wrong people. You're treating people the wrong way. You're not hiring people because of certain biases that you're not even cognizant of. Like, you're not paying attention. You're saying all lives matter. You're the problem. It's not the government. It's, yes, it is the government. There are things we can change, but... In issues and matters of the heart, there is no law that can be repealed and there is no law that can be passed that can fix an issue of the heart. It has to start with personal reflection. And so that's where I would say start, because that's what racism is an issue of the heart. Yeah. Harry?
3: I was really good to just say, like. I get to, I despise the whole like when someone says black lives matter and when someone goes like well what about black on black crime it's like well the black guy shoot you black people one of those people are criminals so what are you calling these cops are they are they really to call them criminals are they a criminal gang because that's who's doing that you know and it's so I just get enraged when I hear uh, not enraged but I just get like it's, it's it's a little upsetting when they say that you know and it's
0: what and is it think, about, the, what what upsets you when you, you meet that static response?
3: Well, it's, just, it's like I said, it's because, like, what about black-on-black crime? Like, well, that's criminal on innocent people. That's, the, okay, so, and that we feel unprotected by the police. So when you bring up black-on-black crime, okay, how are the police not helping us protect the, protect, uh, protect the people? That's what their sort so the of goal is supposed to do, but they're too busy busting nonviolent down uh, non-violent offenders you feel the exact same way when you get pulled over by a state trooper for speed for doing five over a speed limit like why are you pulling someone over on a speed limit? Uh, this victimless crime where there's easily like uh, these police resources and stuff like that could be used to stop your your quote unquote uh, angry offense of being black on black crime and it's and you're trying to compare, and then to me, it's like, I think you, it's just like, I think you're, you're not because it is like that block, you don't want to see it because you keep bringing up black on black crime, but it's like, but I'm talking about police. This is what we're talking about. So either you do see them as criminals and you don't want to admit it. It's something, it's a block on your own head.
0: And let's take it a step further. The police are only enforcing a law that was passed by politicians that you voted for. Mm-hmm. Yep. You Correct. made choices that led to black on black crime. Because you put the gun in their hands, you put Mm -hmm. the gun in their hands. Yep, and and
2: just to sort of try to answer the question a little bit, that you know, I'm I'm not going to do as good a job as as everybody else, probably. But my my thought is is just make sure you're starting to pay attention if you're not already. Right. So one thing that really kind of woke me up a little bit, as it were, to certain things that were going on that I didn't notice because I'm a, a uh appear to be a white man just you know walking around doing my thing and I we don't get it you have
0: much, a big penis.
2: <laughs> I, unfortunately that's true. But um, <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a pain. But anyway the um the thing I noticed I was I was with my wife before we were even uh dating. I think I was just uh kind of hanging out with her and she needed to go buy a car. She went to go buy this car from this dealer. So I took her and she was talking to the to the guy, the salesman, and I was standing kind of a little bit behind her up against the car because I was like, this has nothing to do with me. This is her buying the car from him. She would ask him a question, and the salesman would turn from her, look at me, and answer. <laughs> right? And she was, she was afterwards, she's like, did you see that? And she was just so incensed by it. And I don't think I would ever have noticed that if it hadn't – if I hadn't been with her and seen it happen because you know, salesman isn't going to treat me like that with someone else. So she tells me the story about her and her friend, when she was growing up, they were going to go to the uh, Greenwood mall. And this was probably, you know, 20 years ago. So, or a little bit more than that, but um she, her friend says, I can't go there because she was black. And my wife's like, why you just come on down. We'll go down there. It's no big deal. And she noticed because cause this kind of brought it up to her attention. She started noticing that when they went into the stores, the store detective would start following her friend around. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there, there was all these little things that were happening. And once you open up and see them and recognize that they're happening, it's like
0: you can't stop seeing them anymore. I went to I went to Saks Fifth Avenue with Miss Pat and I was wearing Carhartts, a Carhartt jacket and, and work boots. And I was following around Miss Pat who was wearing a Falcon's jacket. All of a sudden, the security guard ends up at the door we're standing by. You know, like, and he starts engaging us a little bit. Like, I know what he's doing. She knows what he's doing. She charmed the pants off of him. You know, but you get the subtext there. You get it. I love this suggestion from Rosemary, who says, enacting policies might be too lofty. Simply knowing... Understanding a person who looks and thinks different than you is a good start. Invite the minority neighbor to your home for dinner just once. I love that suggestion, you know, and and I hear uh, like inviting Harry on the podcast and having one black friend put me on a totally different path, right? You know, Having Miss Pat and Dion in my life put me on a totally different path, but it was uncomfortable to get into these conversations, and when cultures bump up next to each other, you know, of, of Miss Pat is of a different culture than I am, and so there's cultural differences where there's a learning curve that took a couple of months, two or three months. There, there had to be a lot of Miss Pat going, "You need to just say it. I'm not going to be offended. You need to just ask the question. Like I'm not going to think you're racist. Like it because in my mind, like, when I read Rosemary's suggestion, like, they're just gonna know I'm inviting them over because they're black, and that feels racist. I mean, and and Harry, maybe it is, you tell me, you're, you know, we've always joked you're racism insurance, but I would think that as long as good intentions are there, that's gonna be met with good intentions.
3: Yeah, it's... It- so other races, if you make it racist okay, <laughs> and you invite them over because they're a friend and you want to know something about them, then it's okay. You're not treating right. them any differently. This is someone new. okay. Yeah. Yeah.
4: So I, I, just, I, uh, I went on a date one time my junior year of college with this one girl who was Peruvian, total smoke show. Um, at the end of the date, she uh, said she didn't see us going anywhere because I wasn't Hispanic enough for her family. <laughs> Yeah. I looked at her and I was just thinking, is that racially insensitive? (laughs) No, it's you. If
0: you come from a certain culture, I don't know that it's racist or bigoted to want to be with somebody who understands your culture and those subtle differences between the two of you.
4: I didn't take offense to it until like a day later because I realized that was also probably her saying. You know, probably what she considered the most polite thing to say, because she probably just didn't like me.
0: Yeah,
4: I mean that was probably something, but I didn't think of it until I'm like, oh, all right, well that sucks. And then we're then we're then I'm driving, and I'm like, not Hispanic. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> <It's>
3: funny though, <laughs> just, not, just not enough. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it's just so. it's just funny how it is. And I mean I what I real the best decision I made in my life was um you know going going to a military school, joining the Alabama National Guard. And I mean when you're going through basic and everything, everyone is treated like the same equal amount of shit. It's like fight club. You're yeah. just trash. Hmm. You're just trash. I mean, my, my closest friends were people who I probably would have never been friends with otherwise. But it was because we were going through those challenges together, and I got to meet people from all over the country, from different religions, backgrounds, and everything. I mean, I don't think the the United States military gets enough credit. It's an incredibly multiracial, multicultural force in America. It really is. People who come out of there always come out with the experiences of everyone that they served with. And I mean, I'll just never forget. I'm sitting under a tree in Fort Knox, Kentucky. I'm sweating like my ass off. And it's a, it's a day of middle training, which basically means we have to wait for another unit to complete something in order to go forward with it. So we've got like three hours just baking in the sun. And I looked at one of my friends, he went to another military school. He went to Georgia military college. I looked at him like, do black people get sunburned? Mm. He was like, I do. (laughs) And I'm like, Oh, and then so he looked at me, he's like, Martinez, why would you wonder if black people don't get sunburned? And I was like, because I've never seen a sunburned black person. And he just looked at me and his face got really mad. And I'm just thinking, oh, this is where it ends. It ends before it begins. And he just started laughing. He, he smacked me and he just started laughing and I just started laughing. And it was just one of those things where it was just it was just there and it was funny and we were he was able to laugh at me and i was able to laugh at myself because i could actually hear the words coming out of my mouth in that moment you know it's just it's just those moments where it's like we were we were friends before we were anything else and that's what laid the groundwork for everything in my life it made it better because of that
0: Yeah, I like like Wade. Uh, Wade says, I like this conversation. Rarely is there a government solution, but there are always individual solutions. And that's what it comes down to. And Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to start wrapping up and have final thoughts here. But we look at it. uh, This drives me crazy about us. We sit here and go, well, what can we repeal? What can we demolish? What what can we get rid of? And part of what I want to do with this show is to get people thinking about what can you do on a personal level, interpersonally, With those hundred people that you interact with, or with a charity that you could start, or an entrepreneurial, a social entrepreneurial business, or just a business business, what can you do to make the world more free? That's way more important than running for office as a libertarian. They don't want me to tell you that, but it's true. You start a charity, you donate to a charity, you spend the day working for a charity, you... you, Reach out, you you solve racism by becoming friends with people that don't look and think like you and having conversations that make you uncomfortable. That's how you do it. It's not just repealing laws and making changes. That's systemic racism. But where can you do some things differently? If we want to end hunger, let's not pass a law. Go work for feeding, go donate to Feeding America. You know, how do we take care of people in a society where there is no large central state? It's going to be you. It's going to be you doing the work. It's going to be me. It's going to be the three of us, uh, the four of us on this show doing the work. And so start practicing because if you want to live in a free world, it's going to mean you're more uncomfortable but more rich in terms of relationships, more enriched because of experiences, more enriched because of the, the diversity and love that you have in your life and more rich just because you have more money in your pocket because there won't be that parasitic government. So, you know, you have to start building the world that you want to see because once you start doing that and people see you, talk to you, they're less afraid of you, right? And so that's really what we we need to start doing is looking at systemic racism, recognizing that this exists, that it is entrenched into the power structure and we can start demolishing it by doing something about it which is just loving each other, like having conversations like this. So I promise you, 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 you know, if you're, if you're a white Christian conservative male, it's uncomfortable in the beginning, but you're going to be okay. I promise you. And you may say some fucked up things in the beginning, but the person who knows you're coming in good faith is going to say, don't say that that's fucked up. <laughs> right? Like, but just start, right? Cause it's all about how you come at people. Cause Harry just told you, you just heard him say, when you come at me with All Lives Matter, I just immediately stop. I'm just not even going to talk to you. Like, I, what can I do with you? You know, but if you come with me and go, okay, I don't know why your hair is different. Can you explain this to me? That's going to be met with, okay, let me, let right? Like, so just take a chance. Uh, so final thoughts. Let's start with Reinhold. Um.
2: Yeah, just uh, my final thoughts are be good to each other and just keep an eye out on what's going on and, and don't um, just just focus on being the change you want. Just like you said, I mean, in my opinion, we're never going to be able to get to a government out of our lives unless we can prove to the people who do the voting um, that we can do it by going out and doing it anyway. Like if if we were taking care of the people in our community who needed health care, why would we need the government coming in and giving health care to everybody if we're already doing it, right? So people are going to say, this is stupid. We're not, we shouldn't be doing that, and they're going to cut it out. That's how you start replacing government. Voting is fine. Uh, politics is fine. But going out and doing it is what's going to change things. That's pretty much it for me. I'll let the other people talk. Remzo,
4: what do you mean, other people? I'm yeah, sorry.
0: wow. <laughs> you remember when you <laughs> remember when John McCain said that one, and that was the greatest <laughs> racial controversy in American politics. Oh, those days don't come back.
4: Oh, that's funny. I I, I think there. I think you know things happen for a reason, and I think it's incredibly funny that of all the times that could come out, we have a new Bill and Ted movie coming out. When we could definitely but, use more Bill and Ted. And if I could just take some Bill and Ted knowledge, it's like, you know, be righteous and party on, dude. That's all it is. And if you're a white liberal and you would like to pay some, you know, uh, reparations for me, my cash app is dollar sign. <laughs> or, I'm, jo- I'm joking. Yeah, just be righteous and party on.
3: Uh, Harry? Uh, I'm not. My cash app, uh, if you want to pay your reparations directly to me, you know, you give, give me some damn white guilt dollars. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, be actually just <laughs> uh, All right, so one thing I always in is the uh, is also the people who are also like um, if you when your friends do come to you and they have these have these conversations with you, especially this is more speaking to the people who are quote unquote minorities, just here, you're just a minority in the United States. Um, you have to have these tough conversations sometimes with people and then you have to be able to willing to have these conversations with them. You, even though I, I, right now I got, I'm having some tough ones with a couple of friends about certain things and it was really rough because he's a white liberal he doesn't think what he says is racist and I and it hurt me first to tell him that, like, hey, what you're doing, what you're saying, that's racist. How is this racist? And I'm like, that's very racist. And I'm sitting there and I get, put it down on paper and like this is what you're doing, you know. You may think what you're doing is correct, but what you're doing is hurting and this it's and it comes from that corner. It's like it's it's it sucks and I'm your friend and I know that's not that's not your intention, but I'm willing to have this conversation with you, you know, because talking and conversations and these long for conversations and learning about different things. This is how we get things going to get things done and get to this anarchist society, Uh, at least my anarchist uh, vision of it. Why food is for everyone? Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, honestly, it's uh, 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 we're gonna have uh, princesses, and we're gonna have a monarchy, but uh, they're not really in charge. We just have one. Um, it's good. It's better this way. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do anything. We just have one. But no, it's. Um, You'd be able to have this conversation to get with your community, you know. It's you know, it's talking with your neighbors and having each other out and helping everyone out, right? And understanding people in your community and be able to welcome everyone in. It's also just in trying to embrace other people and understand that, uh, it's a lot of the, what I would from a lot of regulations I get, I get a lot from Frederick Douglass and the idea of like, I just want to be treated like a regular human, just like you would treat anyone else. It's, and that's all I've ever wanted, you know, is just to be, you know, I just want to be Harry. I want to be treated as Harry, not black guy, Harry. And, you know, believe it or not, Remzo, like, you know, like black people actually get, uh, get those conversations a lot. Do you sunburn? I've I
4: have. do do you sunburn? I know I've
3: gotten I, a sunburn. It took eight hours on the beach, but I did get a sunburn. I did not know what was going on, but I've asked Harry
0: this. I've I know I've asked you that question before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: yep. Yep.
0: Oh, I treated then, Harry very poorly in the beginning. I've I've yeah. grown a lot. Yeah, I recognize. But it's also
3: one of those things like you're just curious. But the thing is, like our education system, because a lot of us got through the public education system, really doesn't teach. Our health system doesn't really teach things about people. It's like, of course you uh, people get sunburned because you don't understand what a sunburn is. You just told what it is. You know, uh, I've got some different book. Bu- I've got a book called the Quadrivium, right, which talks about mathematical formulas and why we have this. Like. You know, like, how did we, like, like, what is it? Because everyone knows the Pythagorean path- theorem. But why does it work? What is it? You know, there's something beyond it other than A square plus B square equals C square. You know, there's actual stuff to it, but you, you've you been rushed ahead. All right. Science nerd craft. Sorry, I'm not going to go into tangent on that.
4: <laughs> we know that Harry sunburns.
3: Yes. 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 I, I sunburn. It takes a while. It took eight hours down on the Cape, but it took eight hours. I'm pretty much done that's just, <laughs> like i said just have, it's 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 like i said just have conversations have willing to talk with people sit around have a brew and, or if that's you
4: and i'm sure
0: about. it sucks for you it's you know and it's not fair that you have to have those conversations people should just get it
4: Let, let's you know, mean, they they just address. don't yeah you know? sunburned uh,
0: bitch. On a cloudy day, I turn in. look at my ham complexion now in the video.
4: Look you how getting sunburned by that
3: lamp. Yeah, I have. So
2: I, was, I, was, I was listening to Left, Right, and Center uh, this weekend, and they had some guest panelists on, and one was Michael Steele, and the other one was another gentleman whose name I can't remember, uh, but he's another black conservative. And they started talking about this conversation, and their reaction was just like, I've gotten so many calls from people about, what is this about? And, and what are my experiences? And to be honest with you, sometimes I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. It's it's not, it's harm. It hurts sometimes to have to relive and talk about these stories and what I've had to gone through. And so I think kind of being aware of that too is important that, you know, just because you have a, a friend and, and they, you know, might be black or Hispanic or something else. Don't just assume that that's all they want to talk about either. Right. Yeah. Bring it up, talk about things, but also don't make it understand that you might be bringing up some painful memories for them, too, that they're going to have to relive.
0: Right. Yeah,
2: same. That's just what I'm thinking. Yeah,
0: I, I totally agree because it sounds exhausting, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it it requires the discomfort of this generation to have these conversations. So it isn't a conversation in the, in the future generations like it that. That sucks but it is, you know, I mean, there's no better way. I mean, it's, it's, it's progress. So, uh, all right, everybody. Thanks so much. Just examine your hearts. The, The fundamental premise of libertarianism is that other people are not your property. They're not yours to control through the state. They're not yours to control through taxation. They're not yours to control in any way, shape or form using the police or any other means. And just, Make sure that you live that fully because until you live that fully and model that for other people, we're never going to get to a society that is truly free. It, it, it requires all of us taking on some responsibility and examining how we live with each other. It all comes down to empathy and love. It all comes down to nonviolent, peaceful cooperation. It's what libertarianism always comes down to. There isn't anybody on the planet that doesn't agree with that other than the people that want to dominate the people that want to control. And those are the people we're not going to try and reach. There's no point in trying to spend the rest of, of this election year, trying to talk to MAGA people and to hardcore Democrats and try and shake them out of that. All I can do is do this show for the people that want nonviolent, peaceful solutions that are empathetic and respectful towards all. If you're down with that, then you're headed in a libertarian direction. You know, we'll worry about which things you personally need to understand. Like, I don't know about this thing. You know, for me, it was like gun control. I don't know. About that. We'll talk about that later. But the first premise is that you have to accept that you are going to try and build a world that is more peaceful, more loving, and more respectful, more empathetic, and start heading in that direction, you know, and that, that's all it comes down to. So that's the good news about libertarianism. It's just that easy. You just agree. I'm going to start listening. I'm going to start having conversations. And then next thing you know, you're on a libertarian podcast talking about abolishing the police. And you go, I don't think that goes far enough. <laughs> 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 All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. Make sure you check out On the Run with Remzo W. Martinez. Make sure that you check out Freedom Strips with Keaton Tucker. Uh, that is a, a show that we'll be adding soon too. And uh, they, he just interviewed Joe Jorgensen. And hey, if you got something out of this, please share this episode. Uh, I'm going to chapter mark it so people can get to this conversation a little quicker. Uh, if they don't want to listen to all the Trump stuff, um, I may separate it out into two. But if you got something out of it, please share it with people. Let them know, hey, this is a great conversation amongst friends. i just love for you to tune in like hear it just skip to this minute marker uh somewhere around 53 so sharing 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 that is the best thing you can do to help support us our patrons are super important it really helps us a lot when you join patreon if you get something out of what we do at we're libertarians in any way the heretic magazine the social media channels the podcasts join the patreon that money that support that is so important to helping us grow but if you're not there share, share an episode that really got you. That's really a personal recommendation from you to your friends, texting an episode to a friend that is so powerful in helping us grow and help spread this message. And, uh, I think it's a message that everybody needs to hear because I think once they hear what we have to say on, on, on podcasts like this, they start to see the world in a different way and we can build a different world as long as, uh, you help us. So we really do appreciate it. And thank you so much for your participation. Thanks, guys, for joining me. Thanks, everybody online. And we will talk to you very soon.